On today's show, we get stuck into our first season of the 2020 calendar year. We're looking today at 1938. And things kick off right where we left them. Jock McHale still has great aspirations for Collingwood, but for the third year in a row, the tribunal interrupts them. Checker Hughes at Melbourne is still trying to beat Collingwood. Carlton think they've finally found the piece of the puzzle to make it all the way to the grand final. St Kilda win their first flag. South compete, complete their fall from grace. Fitzroy begin life without Hayden Bunton and a schism develops between the leagues and Victoria. So much to talk about. Join us after the song. It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazman To hear what they all have to say all right, welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast. Um, my name is Tim, uh, and wow, what a way to start the 2020 football calendar year. Back in style. Um, in style. We're talking about 1938 today. Let me go around the table in clockwise order. Sitting next <laughs> to me, oh, yes, Moz. Me. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Sitting next to Moz. We've got Big Red. Yeah, great to be here. Big Red, live in, in studio. studio. Wow. Uh, Kazman. Hi, as I live and breathe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad. And Coops. <laughs> on the other side of you, your right-hand man, too. Right-hand man today. Uh, all five of us in the one in room. In the one room, all together, together at the same time, time. First time ever. We're like the royal family, though. This shouldn't have happened. This is no, exactly. dangerous for us all to be together. <laughs> it is. Um, and what a location for us to be recording in as well. Mm. Um, we are sitting in a, a, a theatre room. And it is delightful. Oh, oh, yes. It is very special. Um, so we're here today to talk about the 1938 season. Um, to start with, though, we are, as we like to do, we've got a bit of uh, world Don't news. Of give course, give us some history. We certainly do. 38. It's a great year. Great year. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> we're getting back to the point where it's not so great years. Interesting years, Interesting not so years. great, unfortunately. Um, hit song for the year that I found was by someone called Ella Fitzgerald. Oh yes, you might have oh. heard of her. A song called "A Tisket, A Tasket." Just get a task. Two hours ago. Um, I, I know it, but I don't know it. No. It's one of those songs that you hear and you're like, oh, I know this song. Ah, you know a lot of songs, though, so. Mm. Off the... Yeah, it's not one that I'm, I'm, I know all that well, but I do know Ella Fitzgerald, so I feel like mm. I've got something. Yeah. I'm at least halfway there. It's one of her goodies. Mm. One, of the, one of the goodies. Maybe on the best mm. of <laughs> compilation. Maybe it's further down. Yeah, yeah. On the B side. On the B side, yeah. yeah. Like a track 13, 14. Yeah. <laughs> so. 38, obviously we're getting into the time of the beginning of the Second World War, but we will talk more about that in a, in uh, further on in a special. Mm-hmm. But uh, So I've left a bit of information out, but there are a few things that were big things that I thought needed to be talked about as well. So starting with uh, January 27th, the bridge, the Niagara Bridge at Niagara Falls collapsed due to an ice jam. Wow. Yeah, not ideal. Oh. Um on the 6th of February, Black Sunday at Bondi Beach, uh, 300 swimmers were dragged out to sea in three freak waves. Wow. And wow. 80 lifesavers wow. saved all but five of them. Wow. So five people died. Yeah. I wasn't aware of that one. No, no, no. me either. 
Um, on the 20th of February, uh, Sir Anthony Eden, who would later become Prime Minister, resigned as the British Foreign Secretary uh, following major disagreements with the Prime Minister of the time, Neville Chamberlain, um, over the policy in regard to Italy. Um, on the 3rd of March, oil was discovered in Saudi Arabia. Would you believe it? What a There's oil in, in Denver Hills. Saudi Arabia? Yeah. You're kidding me. No, yeah, exactly. Um, on June the 15th, Laszlo Biro patented the ballpoint pen. Oh, very mm. nice. Britain. Thank you. Britain, a lot of yeah. Don't advice. we? Yeah. <laughs> Um, on the 19th of June, Italy beat Hungary 4-2 to win the 38th FIFA World Cup. Hmm. Second World Cup. Yes. Yeah. yeah. On the 22nd of June, the heavyweight boxing champion Joe Lewis knocked out Max Schmeling in the first round of their rematch at Yankee Stadium. On the 31st of August, Winston Churchill uh, suggested in a personal note to Neville Chamberlain that they may want to set up a broad international alliance, including the United States mm. and the Soviet Union, to fight against the Nazi aggression. Mm. Wow. Mm. On, and remember, he's not, he's not Prime Minister at this stage. He's, a, mm. I think, a backbencher yeah. or not yeah. even in Parliament yet. He'll be back. Uh, yeah, eventually. Um, on the... 30th of October, Orson Welles' radio adaptation of The War of the Worlds was broadcast for the first time, allegedly causing panic in various yeah. parts of the United States. Yeah, famous so, people thought that was real. Yeah, so it says allegedly. I don't think there's any sort of it's a legend, though, facts. It? Yeah. yeah, but yeah, they think that it uh, sent people a bit crazy. On November the 1st, in horse racing, not the Melbourne Cup, though, this time, Jimmy, <laughs> Seabiscuit defeated War Ad- Admiral by four length in their famous match at Pimlico Racecourse in Baltimore. A match? Yeah, well, I don't know. A race? Famous match-up, I guess. A match-up, okay. Match race, it says, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on the 17th of December, Otto Hahn discovered nuclear fission of uranium, the scientific and technological basis of nuclear power. So there you go. And that marks Just the beginning time. of the atomic age. Just in time. Yeah. The atomic clock is ticking. <laughs> 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 you said time and made me think of it. Do any other events that you had? No? Not that I've... So Researched. A, a couple of people were born also in 1938. Okay, that's good to hear. Yeah, just, just a few. Uh, Etta James, the singer, uh, was born on the 25th of January. On the 8th of April, Kofi Annan, the Secretary General of the UN and recipient of the 2018... No, recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize. He died in 2018, sorry, mm-hmm. I should have said. Uh, Betty Cuthbert on April 20th, the, track at, the Aussie track athlete, Absolutely. the legend. Yep. On uh, the 21st of July, Janet Reno, the US Attorney General under Bill Clinton, was born. On the 9th of August, Rocket Rod Laver. Oi! Good timing, considering the Oz Open's about to begin. On the 21st of August, Kenny Rogers, the country singer. Is he that old? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. On uh, October 17th, Evil Knievel. The motorcycle yep. daredevilist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, on November nineteenth, we had Ted Turner, who is is the American entrepreneur and the creator of CNN and Fox. Yeah, and Fox. Fo- uh, no, oh, yeah, that's Murdoch. no, that's Murdoch. Yeah, Warner, Warner, Time Warner. Yeah, yeah. And on the twenty ninth of December, John Voight, the American actor. He's that old too. Yeah, <laughs> I knew he was old. Yeah, and I, there I we love go. him. Though. I love him. He's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get uh, get. Down and dirty with the 1938 season. <laughs> um, 
to start with. Tim, full disclosure, we've got a bit of Biff Brunson brawlers going on that the background. That is true. <laughs> yeah, so if you, if you, Which if is you, great. If you find us um, distracted, because we've got some, some classic <laughs> oh, AFL, VFL. Styx is absolutely throwing <laughs> haymakers it. on the screen as we speak. <laughs> that's <laughs> the one. That's yeah. the Battle of Britain, actually, that is. <laughs> oh, what is this? Yeah, yeah it is. is. Oh, anyway, I digress. Yes, okay. um, back to 38. 38. Okay. To start with, I've got this cartoon I found in the paper that was leading into the, the season. Um, I'll, it'll be up on our Twitter if you or in our Instagram to, to check out. Yeah. Um, it baffled me. I found it. So going around this picture, we've got... Timmy poses a very challenging question, actually. I did. Yeah. So we've got a swan. We've got a saint. We've got a gorilla. Who are the gorillas, Kaz? Uh, not South Melbourne. No. No, North Melbourne. No. Oh, damn. Okay. I'm out. Fitzroy. I'm out. Murph, who are the gorillas? Yeah, the Fitzroy. Fitzroy. We've got the tigers. Obviously. We've got the bulldogs. We've got the black cats. We've got the magpies. We've got the demons. We've got a cockatoo. Yeah, That's the cockatoo. Yeah, who's, who's, who's a cockatoo? What? It's got to be. I'll just say it North Melbourne every time. No. That's what my first kiss was. But no, it's Carlton. It's Carlton. Carlton. And I'll, I'll, I've, I've got the story behind that soon as well. Um, we... I just believed you when you said that. I think it was the last episode. I was like, he's got... <laughs> hey, he's got no. <laughs> um, but in the bottom it's left-hand corner, we've got what looks like a Mexican... I say this because it looks like a sombrero and some kind of poncho throwing a knife towards the football as well. Yes. Um, it's very interesting. Yeah. So we've got the demon sitting on his sombrero... Yeah. With his pitchfork yeah. reaching for the football. Um, and there's a football in this picture with the 1938 season written on it. And it's coming towards, towards the pack. Yeah. Yep. Mm. So missing from this picture is Hawthorne, North Melbourne, and Essendon, who didn't really have mascots at this stage. No. Which begs the question: What is the Mexican? Yes. What, and is he representative of those three teams? That well, that's seen? that was what we thought because looking at it potentially, you know, the poncho is a different color, a different design to the band of the hat, mm. and like maybe you've it's got, trying to pull I mean, them all together. The Stripe there with the Essendon. Yeah. I've never heard anything about Mexican sub- Well, sub- knowing that um, it was a black and white newspaper, there's no colour, so... Yeah, no, exactly. In black and white, so, so it's obviously a whole Mexicans. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> mm. um, I've, I've, I've looked through whether there were players who were nicknamed Mexican or something, Spanish. Mm. Um, there weren't any. I've looked at other cartoons, and, and I've got no explanation. Actually, I uh, emailed the AFL, and I had one chap get back to me who suggested it was to do with the Mexican... Um, War. There was something about petrol, oil, yeah, and the Mexicans wanting to grab all the oil and not be, have it sold overseas. So mm. the suggestion there is that Mexico too is trying to take the Premiership Cup this year. Mm. Ah. Political. Yeah, I yeah. Looked, I'm not Clever. sold on that idea. So that if you've got a better, it suggestion, makes the most sense so far. But we does. will put a photo up, as Timmy said. So hopefully, someone who might have an idea can yeah. let us know. Mm. Mm. So yes, it's, it's an interesting one. Can I chime in with something that we had luck with? Uh, somebody who noticed something on a cartoon that you were talking about. Mm. It was their, and it was their great grandfather. Oh yes, Ivan McAlpine's uh, grandson. Mm. Yeah, we, we put up a picture, and he and he said he'd never seen the picture before. Yeah. So we made contact with him on nice. Twitter, which was cool. Yeah. Very um, cool. Linking everyone together. We yeah. are. Through football. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think the first thing we need to talk about is the schism. A schism, you say? A schism. What's a schism, Moss? <laughs> a schism is a, well, officially a divide between two churches. Okay. Or a church well, yeah. divides into two, yeah. but mm-hmm. it also just means a divide. Uh, yeah, so... Um, well, the church of the VFL and the church of the VFA. Yeah, obviously. so Victorian okay. football. Yeah. Yeah. There was it's a, a separation... Which occurred. Um, I've done a little bit of research on this, Murph. I think you've had a little look as well. Yeah, a bit of a look, yeah. Um, so, in late 1937, there was a heap of recommendations made by the VFA to change some of their rules. 
mostly because it had been to depression um, and gate receipts weren't fantastic, so mm. they wanted to make the game a bit more attractive for spectators and try and draw in more of a crowd. Yep. Some of those rule changes were... Uh, Some of those games are some Well, the day. biggest one that they changed was throwing the ball. Mm. Mm. So oh, nice. yeah. yeah. So not, not the flick pass. No. It's like the flick pass is... Kind of like a hand pass, like, but around the yeah. kind of side. It's Whereas good that everyone can see what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 so um, the official definition so legalized throwing as a mean of disposal in general play, provided the throw was with two hands and both hands were kept shoulder below the shoulder. Mm. So, so almost like a basketball pass. Yeah, or a little bit like, a, a, rug, like, rugby. Oh, like a rugby. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the VFA legalized that. Um, it was a bold change since throwing the ball had been illegal since the game had been invented. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Bold is probably not the word I would use. <laughs> Ballsy. Idiotic. Yeah. yeah. This is um, the sort of thing that causes a schism. <laughs> yeah. They also changed the holding the ball rule. They changed it to making sure, well, not mm. allowing a player to drop the ball. Yeah, so which is uh, which yeah, is what we know it as today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if, you're, if you're caught t- tackling, if you're caught in a tackle, instead of a, a scrimmage or someone, uh, other players be able to come in and slow that play down. Uh, if you were tackled having prior opportunity you were deemed to have been holding the ball and a free kick was given which is how we know it now yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so they introduced that boundary, f- boundary throw-ins were brought back in um, if it was if the ball went out of bounds before that had been the other side yes got the ball yeah. and so sorry this is VFL VFA VFA yeah, yeah. okay yeah, yeah I could okay I'm with you um, right. free kicks paid for fouls committed after a disposal yeah and which again we have today and transfer of free kicks from injured players so if someone's injured someone else can take the kick how did it work before that we don't know uh, I guess the injured player had to, had take, to the take the kick yeah. even if they would yeah. just yeah. drop it on their foot if they're passed <laughs> out on the ground yeah. <laughs> um, now the, the thing that threw this up in the air was the whole transfer situation mm-hmm. because it wouldn't be fair to transfer players between VFA and VFL when there's completely different rules. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so they, I believe the VFA withdrew from the ANFC. Mm. Well, were they for, I think, were they forced to remove? I think due to the change of their rules, they yeah. might be forced to remove. Yeah, that you might be right there. Um, but the, it threw the whole transfer agreement but like up out the window. So the agreement, the agreement that had since 1931, mm. um, that both clubs had to give a transfer agreement to move club. Mm. Now you can move to the VFA without a permit. Well, so in theory, you could have players playing in both. So you can move now. to the VFA if without a permit. Yep. Could you move to the from yep. the VFA to the VFL without yep. a permit? Yeah. Because they're no longer linked. Yes. However, okay. the VFL are restricted by the Coulter Law. The VFA had no like restrictions on money, so ah. so what we will see starting oh, this year is a heap of VFL stars who jump to the VFA mm. for more money because yeah. they can. They can, yeah. So the VFA aggressively sought after many VFL stars in that, mm. that those two years of that year, nineteen thirty-eight. Mm. Yeah. Um, in that revamped code that they were trying to create. Yeah. Mm. So I guess you'll be telling us about those players in years to come, Murph, as we are. Move forward yes, because uh, they'll be uh, they'll be part of your report. Yeah, mm, absolutely. Um, so really interesting time here in football, and the, I think the throw pass era lasts for 15, 20 years. I haven't looked that far ahead yet. Wow. Um, but a while, and it changed the game. Um, this was something Roy Kazaley had been advocating for mm. a while, um, mm. and the media really enjoyed it as well because it really opened the game up. It received a lot of popularity, I think, from from the media and football writers, and because um, it sped up the game. Yeah, it sped up the game, but also it was, it was um, introduced in some other Victorian and Tasmanian competitions as well. Oh, really? For that 1938 season. So other other leagues around, you know, 
football playing states uh, you know want to, to mm. enact those changes as well to speed up their games as well it's really interesting to think now the way we know that AFL to be that the VFA and the VFL were so closely matched in terms of I guess attendance was starting to go one way rather than the other and obviously it started because the richer clubs moved across but there still is it's still like a battle for who's who's got the strongest league isn't it so it's it's amazing to think that that they were in that position and Mm. so this is the VFA trying to take a bit back from Mm. the VFL but also it's something we see today where the league are constantly trying to change the rules to make the game more attractive we're Mm. currently talking about shortening quarters yeah Well, more stamina only, and only what two was it 36 we were talking about the fact that there's just too many goals too many, too goals. many goals yeah. <laughs> interestingly though the, the rules that were changed by the VFA like you said before Tim are now rules that we're using in modern day football today so they're apart from the throw pass yeah, yeah so but, but the rules that obviously had significance uh, and were then embraced by the whole country yeah, yeah. and the, um, the one about throwing the ball in the out of bounds rule actually got brought in to the VFL the I same think. year yeah yeah, I think they um, VFA had a deliberate out of bounds rule that came into effect as well as part of that. Yes, I think you. Uh-huh. I think you're right there. Mm. Um, and also towards the end of the year, so there was this now tension between the leagues. The VFA applied to use the MCG to, for finals, and the VFL said, "No, you're not allowed to." <laughs> Hell no, out of ground, yeah. it's ours. <laughs> yeah, there was this big dispute about the VFA wanted to use it. Um, and they eventually relented, but it took some convincing. And I think the I think government had to be actually get involved mm. to help. Allow that to happen. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Um, so that's, I guess, a basic part of the schism. Does anyone else do you want to add anything else, Murph? No, I think that's sort of the broadness of it. Yeah, it covers well, um, what was going on at the time, but it's certainly a significant um, period in football. And it'll bob up in the next few years as well as mm. you, uh, you mm. talk more about the other leagues. Yeah. Oh, find what players think, go over. Do you think they sort of did it on purpose to create that um, gap so? Obviously, they knew they had more money to spend because of the culture law. Maybe it was sort of a bit of a backhanded way of being like, okay, if we get this through and we're no longer linked and need to do transfers, Possibly. we'll be able to steal players from you, like a long play. <laughs> Possibly, especially yeah. after the uh, the VFL duped them yes. in 25 to get those new teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they broke a rule so we can take three clubs. Yeah, yeah. They're playing for kicks, aren't they? Mm. It's certainly a risk that they took, but it seems to have paid off. Yeah. Mm. Um, okay, some other news from the season as well. Round two marked the first time since 1925 that all new teams, so Footscray, Hawthorne, North Melbourne, all won on the same day. <laughs> In round 13, four of the six games were decided by a one-point margin. Yeah. Hmm. Crazy. Um, and in June, there was a split round. The only time in, AF- in VFL history... When three free three field umpires officiated all six games over the long weekend, yeah, so there was games on Saturday and Monday. Mm-hmm. The three umpires from Saturday then umpired the same round on on Monday. Oh. That's, a, that's a busy weekend, uh, and only one. Isn't umpire, that huge? Uh, one umpire system, so yeah, yeah, great. Running out two full games. I know yeah. they've also talked about that these days, having like the best umpires available. Mm. If you can do a Friday, maybe you can do a Sunday twilight as well, because they want the best umpires out there. Mm-hmm. Maybe they should just train some of the umpires to be better. Yeah. No. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. You should no, do. I did. Um, that's on the, that's recorded. <laughs> um, I'd like to see though in the, in the time 1938, you know how how far one singular umpire was running on on a ground. Yeah. As to how far yeah. umpires would run today, because I know that you'd umpire more 
back in 1938, you umpire more from afar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you'd have to, wouldn't you? Control the middle. But were there fewer of them on the field at the time as well? Yeah. On the ground. Yeah, the one. One. One central umpire, two boundary, two goal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was a, there was a years when there was no boundary umpires. The umpire, central umpire, did everything. Apart That's from goals. Yeah. That's, well, because there was no throw-ins. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Crazy. Um, all right. So let's get into the teams. Let's go up the ladder. All right. The wooden spooners for this year were South Melbourne, finishing South on sixteen losses, two wins, and a percentage of seventy-one point eight. So at least they got two wins in there. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Seriously. This is, so like, goodbye, this is South, South Melbourne's first wooden spoon since 22. Yep. That sounds right. Yeah. Mm. The Foreign Legion has disappeared. The Swans have... They've flown the coop. Flown the coop. <laughs> They've gone <laughs> south for the winter. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, Turned back into ugly ducklings. Yep. Anything else? So, sorry, captain by Herb Matthews and coach by Roy Kazali. Their lead goal kicker was Bob Moore with 34. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, Brighton Diggins had sat out in the 37 season and had now been able to cross the Carlton. Yep. Um, Laurie Nash announced a month out from the season that he was signing with the VFA team Camberwell. The first. Mm. The first of the big name players yeah. to cross to the VFA. I think he was on eight pounds. A game which was like three times the amount he was getting at South under the Coulter Law. Wow. Um, so why not go? You know, take care of yourself. Oh, could, yeah, you know, family, depression's yeah, been right. happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, South threatened legal action, but it was an empty threat. They yeah. let him go in the end. Um, Terry Brain also went across to Camberwell, joining Nash. Mm. Bob Pratt announced his plans oh, to join no. Carlton, but then uh, he abandoned those. Um, and he was given. Uh, advice from the doctors pre-season that he should retire. His ankles were that bad. He was already oh. going to at the end of last year, wasn't yeah. he? Like he sort of... Mm. He'd kicked enough goals, they needed to rest. <laughs> he thought he was going to survive a hit from a train. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. It was, was a truck. Yeah, excuse me. Yeah. Stepping off the tram. I get confused with that too. Yeah. Um, but four days later, he was back at the club deciding he couldn't do any more damage to his ankle, so he just might as well keep playing. <laughs> yep. That's a solid play. Yep. That's um, the worst that could happen. Yeah. So, round one, the club actually started off on, the, on a good note. They had a good 29-point win over Footscray. Len Thomas kicked four goals. The papers saying that uh, South improved during the game and their superiority in the aerial duels enabled them to take the lead at the interval. South outplayed their opponents in the final quarter and won. But what followed this was 14 straight losses. Yeah. Uh, round three, New South Melbourne president JDM Dixon initiated the Lake Premiership. The Lake Premiership? The Lake Premiership. Uh, the two clubs that are uh, on the Albert Park. Lake Kilda South Melbourne. Yeah, so ah. any time from now on, St Kilda versus South Melbourne, they would be playing for the perpetual pennant, the Albert Park, uh, the Lake, Lake Premiership. It's like Melbourne Hawthorne should play the merger um, premiership. <laughs> yeah. But, well, you know how they are Again. all those, like, side little... You know, yeah, yeah. This is Cup. the first one, isn't this it? This is the, the first one. Yeah. The earliest mm. such inter-club award unearthed today. Um, St Kilda became inaugural winners of this with a 23-point win at Lakeside Oval. Great. Yep. And we might keep track of uh, the tally well, like as we go. Premiers. Yeah. yeah, which lasts until 65 when they moved around, when the Saints moved around. Mm. 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 Yeah, well... You could still keep it, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, actually, they've lost it as well. They can't find the actual pennant. Oh. Yeah. That's no Someone's horning it in the basement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably doesn't mm-hmm. even realise. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. Around, yeah. round four, as Melbourne ran over the top of South Melbourne in the last quarter, Captain Herb Matthews injured himself and would miss a big chunk of the season. 
Uh, Len Thomas standing in as captain while Matthews recovered. Round 11 was the day that Bob Pratt finally returned playing against Collingwood. He'd missed 20 straight games. Oh, yeah. Across the two seasons. Kicked two goals, but South couldn't hold on to their three-quarter time lead and lost by two goals to Collingwood. Um, Pratt played in seven of their last eight games. He kicked 32 goals, which isn't far off their best goal kicker. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Round 16, the club finally broke its run of 14 defeats with a hard-fought five-point win over Essendon at Lakeside Oval. And then to finish the season, round 18, Bob Pratt was back to his best, kicking nine goals against Geelong. However, the team lost by 22 points. 22 points to end the club's worst season to date mm. with two wins uh, two games behind 11th mm. spot and quite a percentage mm. um, yeah so Might really have worst goal. season to date yeah so the other two times they've won the wooden spoon they've, they've had won better, more games yeah mm. had, their wow. feathers, had their feathers ruffled a <laughs> 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 were you thinking about that the whole time I did, I did. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm on to the next one <laughs> Yeah. Oh, oh I, in, um, <laughs> in legs 11 was Hawthorne. <laughs> four wins, 14 losses, and a percentage of 82.4. So, yeah, 11% more than South Melbourne. Yeah, and two more games, right? And two more yes. games. So, captained by Bert Mills and coached by Ivan McAlpine, who we were just talking about before. Yep. Their lead goal kicker was Albie Naismith with 30. So, they've managed to get off the bottom. They have. But only just. Hey, it's better than better than bottom though. Yeah, true, true. Yeah. One less wooden spoon. Yeah. Melbourne didn't last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. true, true. Um, some debutantes for Hawthorne were Gilbert Cartwright and Alan Hurd, who is James Hurd's grandfather. Oh. Played, That's a cool. few, played a few seasons at Hawthorne. Yeah. Um, biggest news at Hawthorne though was the opening of a brand new grandstand, which was a red brick building with a nautical appearance and what looked like a captain's bridge perched above a sweeping streamlined roof. The, is that the one that's still there? Possibly. Yeah. Okay. Um, look, it probably is because Glen Ferry doesn't get used no, much anymore. No. Um, the council claimed it to be the best of its kind in Melbourne. Well, that was, I mean, that was the whole appeal to get them into the Bearfell in the it first was place. The ground, it was so, yeah, and the council really yeah. wanted to help and out. And because the club's still doing so terribly, maybe they're just mm. making sure they're not going to lose their spot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've always wanted to ask this question, so this this is probably bad, but Glen Ferry Oval, it's the one right next to the train line. Yeah. The, yes. Yeah. Mm. So the train goes past. Every day. Oh, just, yeah. it is. Do you go past on the train? Yeah. Yeah, it's like that. it's very close to the train. Yeah, Road, yeah. Yeah, cool. And to the Oval, like it's right Oh, yeah, 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 the train line, yeah. 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 So yeah. have a look at that nautical theme next oh, time. Well, I'm yeah. check, look for the prowl of the boat. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, round two, the Maybloom's played Melbourne, who they'd been traditionally poor against at the MCG, having never won against them there. And even though they were encouraging in the first hit out of the year, they still lost and travelled to the MCG to play Melbourne. Um, but Hawthorne kept pace with the Demons, and with the wind in the last quarter, they were able to kick three last quarter goals of the afternoon to register a surprise victory. Good on them. Good on them, I say. First time ever at the MCG over the Demons. Round five. <laughs> uh, Hawthorne continued their recent dominance over Richmond with a three-point win at Glenferry Road. Uh, Glenferry Oval, sorry. Their third win over the Tigers in four games. Those wins against them being by two points, two points, and now three points. And that one loss they had in that sequence was by five points. So they're playing, close, they're playing very close games, it does, against Richmond. Uh, following a round six win over South Melbourne, Hawthorne then lost 10 games in a row. Their final win came in round 17, which was a 43-point win over South Melbourne, oh which consigned South Melbourne to the wooden spoon. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, South must have been horrific. Yeah, they were really 
obviously they're battling a loss yeah. of a heap of players, decimated, yeah. Um, yeah. a few injuries to Herb Matthews, and mm. yeah. and and Roy Kazali was still considering coming back as well. Yeah, that, he, oh, that's right. He yes. didn't, but he was considering it. Right, he <laughs> put on the boots. He should have losing lots of games in in rows. So that's that's that hurts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, poor old Fitzroy continues to linger down the bottom of the ladder this year, finishing in tenth spot. With five wins, 13 losses, and a percentage of 88.6. Go the Roy Boys. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, captained by uh, Frank Curcio. Curico? Uh, Curico, sorry. Curico. Coached by Gordon Rattray. Their lead goal kicker was Fred Houston with 62. Mm, so, a big jump up there in, in terms of goals from the, from the bottom two. Yeah, and Kaz might talk a bit about Fred Houston in a minute. Yeah, maybe. Um, so, Fitzroy mm. had a farewell night for Hayden Bunton early in the year. Um, before he departed for Perth. Look, the, and the club were disappointed, but they wished him well in Perth. Mm. Yeah. Um, Frank Curico, who you just said was captain, he had taken 1937 off because he was a violinist. And so he'd been playing with, the, I think, the Symphony Orchestra. Football for playing in that level of music. Yeah, and now he's a captain of the football club. He's had a year <laughs> off, and now he comes back as captain. That's so, um, yeah. so some of the recruits they had as well were Clem Denning, who came across from Carlton. Yes. Famous for kicking six goals. Six with goals his... with his first six kicks yep. in the VFL. Um, no. That's unbelievable, That's isn't good. it? Peter Revel came across from South Melbourne. Archie Knott and another player called Fred Houston, Kaz. That's right. So he was um, obviously a fantastic player. Um, played in um, the Premiership in 1944, but he debuted this year. Um, <clears throat> Of course, that's why we're talking about him. <laughs> so uh, he was t- Fitzroy's team of the century, and um, yeah, and his debut season kicked sixty-two goals. Did you just say that? Yes, and he came across from the VFA, uh, and um, so he was uh, famous for being a long kick of the ball. And um, now I thought this is interesting. So we've had a few people who could kick the ball a very long way, but Fred Houston is recognised as the official longest kick Stop. of the ball. And um, it was a drop kick of 83 yards, 11 inches. Which is what? About 70-something metres. I have to check that. That's massive. Yeah. Yeah, I'll ask mm. So you can yeah. kick it further than the big silo, is what you're telling me. <laughs> I believe so, Charlie. <laughs> and and I that was great. Get him out of retirement. No, that was a great kicking 100 yards. That's, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think Fred Houston also came across from the VFA Club Preston. Ah. So he'd had a bit of success in the VFA as well. Have you heard that name at all? Uh, yeah, I believe yeah, I heard that name, yeah. yeah. Preston certainly were a successful team in the VFA for many years. Mm-hmm. That's true. So he was the last um, person to coach them to uh, coach Fitzroy to a uh, premiership before the merger. Yeah. So a little soft spot there for him. Good. As well. Uh, so round six was the club's first win after five straight losses. That was against Essendon by 16 points at Brunswick Street Oval. Fred Houston kicking five. So, sorry, you just said they beat Essendon, did you, too? I did, yeah. Yeah, okay, good. I just um, wanted to make sure. <laughs> good they time. then won a three-game winning streak between round eight and ten with Chicken Smallhorn starring in all those games, one of your favourite oh, smiles. Oh, go Chicky. Uh, Houston kicking a total of 17 goals across that stretch as well. Jeez. Oh. Five, five, and seven. Uh, they then lost seven games in a row. Round 17, in another game against Essendon, Fred Houston kicked ten goals. But the Bombers won that one. Ah, good, okay. <laughs> yeah. um, and round 18, the final game was a surprising win over Richmond to end the season on a high. Although the club's annual report claimed the season to be disappointing despite 62 goals from new recruit Fred Houston. Yeah, well, it's hard to, uh, hard to cover Hayden Bunton. It really. is, yeah. They've still got two other Brownlee yeah, medals. Exactly. Yeah. They've still got a pretty strong side, but to finish in the 10th spot on the ladder yeah. when you've got 
two Brownlow medalists, one's star forward. Yeah. yeah and normally that's sort of the, the keys. To, that's to what you need. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's but, the story of their decade. Mm, it really is, isn't it? Tim's um, infectious passion for when Essendon win is great. It's like it's like he was there that year. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, the glint in his eye. <laughs> oh, All right. North Melbourne finished ninth this season with six wins, 12 losses, and a percentage of, ooh, a lowly 74.7. <laughs> yeah, not great. Not great. Just above South Melbourne in percentage. Yeah, so captain coach by Keith Forbes this year. Their lead goal kicker was Sel Murray with 56. Um, I've got some good debutantes here for you, Kaz, as well. So yeah. for, for your name, we've got Ozzy Parks. <laughs> okay. Good. And Ron Ran. <laughs> where did he run? Ron Ran. Ran. Ron Ran. I don't know where Ron he ran. Ron Ran. <laughs> <laughs> The name um, of the alliteration is always Run Ran. Yeah, that's a good yeah. Run Ran. And it's a verb as well, so yeah. it's good. <laughs> uh, now, Frank Trainer took over as club president, and he would bring some stability to the club. He'd be in charge until 1952. Um, now, as soon as the previous season was over, 1937, Keith, Thor- Keith Forbes was brought over from Essendon as captain coach. Um, he had been, I think, runner-up in one of the Brownlows mm. in the early 30s to Hayden Button, mm-hmm. um, and he instantly began a recruiting spree to try and strengthen the team. Um, I guess Ron Rand and Aussie Parks being two of those players. <laughs> <laughs> um, their first win was in round two with a 20-point win over South Melbourne at Arden Street. Bill Findlay and Sal Murray were the only goal kickers with five and four respectively in that game. They then had eight losses in a row. There's quite a few games Ooh. with like big loss stretches yeah. in a row. Um, round 11, 12 and 13 saw three wins in a row with a 14-point win over Hawthorne, a four-point thriller over Richmond and a one-point away win over South Melbourne. Their um, percentage is starting to make sense, isn't it? They're scraping yeah. well yeah. on Well, I've, I've got some stats to share with you here in a second. Oh, okay. um, oh, round 15, they beat Essendon and Windy Hill by 17 points. And finally, a 26-point win over St Kilda in round 16 saw it five and six from uh, in terms of... Sorry, round 16 saw them having won five from the last six games and things looked on track for for North Melbourne for a change. When they beat Essendon, it really threw you there, didn't it? Yep. <laughs> um, but, so their losses for this season, they had quite a few close wins. And a few absolute. But then they had six losses by over 50 points. Yeah, so mm. if you look, if I'm, I'm just looking here on their... On their thing, they've got points for 1,384, points against 1,852. Yeah. So, yeah, not pretty. Some close wins and some big losses. Don't make the good percentage. No. No. All right, uh, let's move on. All right. The Saints finished eight this season with um, a nice even nine wins, nine losses, and a percentage of 91.8. So, captain coach this year by the the new man who's just come over from Carlton, Ansel Clark, who I think had been their captain. He was the, their captain yeah. the previous year, so a, a huge um a huge scalp for some for some Kilda to grab. Well, yes, and I'll talk about the coaching situation in a second. Okay, and their lead goal kicker. I mean, who else would it be but Billy Moore? But with only with a paltry thirty four, mm. surprising mm. For, from the big man. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, so tell us more about Ansel. Well. Their coach had been Dan Minogue for the previous two seasons. And the play, the club got in Ansel Clark and like, uh, all right, Dan, you can coach the seconds. Oh, my oh. God. And Dan Minogue, being the classy person that he is, was like, yeah, no worries. I'll, I'll, oh, I'm, happy really? to, I'm happy to do that. Yep. Wow. Gentlemen. Um, some debutants for St Kilda include Roy Fountain and Jack Lowry. And another play we'll get to in a second, Kaz, that you can talk about. All right. 
Um, so yeah, so Dan Minogue coached the seconds. Ansel Clark was a busy rover. He was calm and businesslike. That's why the club got him in. Round one, they lost, but round two, they had a great win over Geelong at Junction Oval by 29 points. However, in that game, new captain coach Ansel Clark would injure his leg and not play again until late in the season. As a result, luckily they had a, a professional coach coaching the seconds. <laughs> uh, so Dan Minogue stepped up and took charge of training while Clark couldn't attend. Uh, and he obviously knows a lot of the players as well. Good to have. The good to have. Round three, St Kilda win their very first flag. They yep. beat South Melbourne in the Lakeside Pennant. Oh, nice. hey. 23 points. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> so, round four, before their game against Richmond, Don't tell me. Mr. Hallworth of St Kilda unfurls the Premiership Pennant. The Lakeside Pennant. Yeah, that's a worry, isn't it? Perhaps this team's... This, <laughs> You celebrate mediocrity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what it hey, is. They, they've won nothing in the in the first what are we up to? Forty one years. Forty years. Well, they yeah. won a flag, and then Collingwood stole it from them. No, nah, Fitzroy. Right? The challenge in nineteen thirty. Fitzroy challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. Um, so perhaps this spurred the team on to win as they came from behind in the final quarter to register a ten point win over Richmond. Round eight, uh, the Saints travelled to Victoria Park to take on Collingwood, and this was the de- debut of a player named Alan Killigrew. Alan Killigrew. That's right. Um, so they called him a small man. So <laughs> which is always good. <laughs> distinguished, distinguished for his um, you know tough play. So I'm going to go with um, short, angry man. <laughs> but it's, it actually says here his height. So I was wondering what he reckons. What he reckon is actually small height. Man. So he's 168 centimeters. That's oh, not that's that my bad. height. That's not that bad. No, um, I'm sure we've had smaller. Yeah, we have. Um, the mosquito fleet. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is Clarko another short, angry? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how it hangs. So he just, his picture came up here as well. I don't know why. So um, it became a distinguished coach, um, but was known for his um, like a tough, tough play and a lot of hand passing. Yeah. So I suppose that matches up pretty well, doesn't it, with the, the type of player he was? Um, uh, so he, excuse me, I just had it there for a second, um, was coaching coach St Kilda um, from 56 to 58. And he clocked up um, actually seventy eight games as a as a player there as well. And then he went on to win flags at Norwood and came back. And so he left St Kilda and came back for North Melbourne. I think I think they won a flag there too as well. Let me quickly check that. No, they went to the the first night finals. It says here. Okay. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, we're going to hear a bit more about him as well. Good. Nice. Um, yeah. So he came on in that game against Collingwood. Um, and he was into everything, hitting packs hard, playing with great pluck and courage, and really gave the fans something to cheer for. Yeah. Uh, St Kilda lost that game, but it was a, a really good debut. Uh, mid-season, the Saints travelled to Western Australia to take on their Western Australian number two side, which was led at that time by mm. Hayden Bunton. It was, ah. indeed. Going down by two points in the first game and 44 points in the second. Um, but they beat a strong Goldfields team. I'm sorry, Murph, were you going to talk about this, were you? No, it comes no. up, I uh, think, maybe with a Hayden Button little part, but that's about all. There you go. Um, the Goldfield team, Goldfield's team led 133-99 to 99 at three-quarter time, but the Saints slammed on ten, seven goals, ten in the last quarter to win by 17, 16 points. Um, in round 14, the Saints made it two and zip in the Lakeside Pennant with a three-goal win over South Melbourne. They're on the two zip. Two zip. They right. are undefeated in the uh, in I've the got Lakeside. two flags. Two flags. Yeah. That's phenomenal. <laughs> uh, um, so, Essendon also finished on a nice balanced nine wins and nine losses and a percentage of 102.3. Now, I can see here that they had 256 goals 
for and 253 goals against. He's very even. Very mm. even, Stephen. Hey, improving from well, that's our best finish since 32. Yeah, talking yeah. up. It's okay, I guess. <laughs> Take what you can get at this stage, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah glass half full, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Mediocre Essendon were uh, captained by Len Webster and coached by Jack Baggett. Their lead goal kicker was Tom Reynolds with 68. Yes. Any relation to Dick? Brother. Brother. Yeah, we, we, we have talked about it. We have. Yeah, he yes. debuted okay, a good. couple of seasons yeah. ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know that. Right. Okay, I'm with you. I'm here. Um, yeah, so Keith Forbes defected to Car- to North Melbourne, the captain coach them. Um, Len Webster was the new captain with the thinking that Dick Reynolds was a bit too young, so he'd serve as his deputy with a, a look to the future as becoming the captain. Obviously being the two-time Brownlow medalist at this stage. Succession. Uh, a debutante was Jack Caesar. Hail. Hail Caesar. Um, Essendon also lost Ted Freyer, Paddy Walsh and Bruce Anderson. Freya was a big loss who had led Essendon's goal kicking for five of the last seven years I think he was also a VFA defector oh, this season oh. um, round one we opened up the season with an excellent win over St Kilda the Reynolds brothers combined for ten goals between them love that Tom was six Dick with four Dick was largely responsible for the opportunities his brother got um, <laughs> round four after Essendon defeated North Melbourne by four goals the papers said of Reynolds that he is perhaps now a better footballer than ever before woohoo he controls the ball with amazing skills. He handles it like a tennis ball. Reynolds' play revealed a true champion. Fast, clever, and unselfish, he was a shining star throughout the game. Five goals came from his boot, and many others were given to his teammates. Round five, the Reynolds brothers again combined for ten goals. Uh, Dick with six... Um, uh, six in the first... Sorry, four of those six in, in the first quarter. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know who we beat then, but it was a good one. <laughs> Round 11, 12, and 13, Essendon won three games in a row and were knocking on the door of the four. Um, round 11 specifically uh, had a great win over the Demons by a goal. Oh, no. Don't bring on it up. a quagmire of an MCG, quality football was off the agenda. Would you call it a mustard pot? You might, yeah. yeah you might do. <laughs> uh, Essendon seemed to fancy the conditions more with Tom Reynolds kicking five, helping Essendon come back in the last quarter to snatch that win off the, off the uh, feisty Demons there. Yeah, one man team. Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, the brothers combined the hey, two men. Not, not Dick. He's uh, he's sharing the ball around. Round twelve. Now this gets a little bit confusing. Hang with me here. Um, round twelve happened on Monday, June thirteenth. It was one of the few games played in the morning. It, played, it was played at ten thirty a.m. Uh, it was two days after both teams had played round eight. Oh. Yeah. So they bought this game forward because it was the king's birthday, and St Kilda had planned to do their trip to WA in round twelve. So they bought this game forward. Um, so round 13 was played between round 8 and 9 yes okay <laughs> no so, so round 12 on the 13th oh round 12 was played between round 8 and 9 on the thir- eight and on June 13th, 13th yes okay in this case in this game field umpire Morgan um he met a hostile reception from St Kilda supporters <laughs> when Bryce who ran out of bounds passed the ball to watch for a goal for Essendon not until the ball was returned to the centre was the boundary umpire able to draw Morgan's attention to the fact the ball had gone out of bounds. Ah. The ball was then returned to the boundary and thrown in, instead of the free, the free kick going to St Kilda, which it should have been. Yeah. Um, yeah. Play was then held up while the field umpire, boundary umpire and goal umpires all held a consultation and eventually a goal was allowed. 
Oh, it didn't have an effect on the game less than the one by 46 points Ray Watts kicked 7 and the Reynolds brothers 4 each so I mean what stage so it must have been at the stage of the game where like, let's just give him a goal possibly yeah and the crowd's yeah. the crowd's filthy uh, round 13 was also a superior day for Essendon they were able- so round 13 was 4 weeks after round 12 Yes. I'm just, I'm just, and, and so we'd also had a, a week off, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just trying to stay on top of it. Essendon played Collingwood, and this is one of those games that was won by a point. Yep. The round 13 one-point wins. The superior aerial work of Essendon's ruck proved too much for Collingwood. Despite the Pies being five goals ahead at half-time, um, their Rovers tried to, to work hard to combat Essendon's superior ruck work, but they couldn't do it. Essendon whittled down the Magpies' lead. Harry Lippiat put Essendon ahead. Uh, several costly misses saw Essendon victorious by one point, so Collingwood could have won the game but missed a few easy mm. shots, uh, which broke a run of 11 wins by Collingwood over Essendon. Mm. So, so Dick Reynolds didn't play in the ruck sometimes? As a ruck rover, not yeah, a rover. ruck rover. Ah, okay. Um, Trying to figure out whether it was him or not. No, it wasn't. He was obviously roving to the ruckman, but the Essendon yeah. ruckman was superior in terms of knocking it down to yeah. the yeah. rovers. Yeah. Uh, round 14, Essendon lost by one goal to Carlton, which kind of ended our finals hopes. Um, so this season, there was no no real great things to finish the season there. Um, the Reynolds brothers kicked a combined 102 goals. Good on them. Dick, 44, Tom, 68, uh, as well as Ray Watts kicking 40 goals. So we've got a few goal kickers. Yeah, there. absolutely. Sharing the load. Yeah, powerhouse. Dick, Dick kicking 48 in the... Sorry, 42. 44. 44 from the middle, yeah, is unbelievable. Yeah, as a midfielder. Yeah. yeah. That's why he wins some serious medals, That's Charlie. That's it. He's got it. Yeah. Well, Hayes Butler's been sitting. 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 Hayes Butler's been Surprising after the amount of times you've told us about the low league club smashing Richmond that they're sitting so high up on yeah. the ladder. Um, but captain coached again by um, Purse Bentley. Their lead goal kicker was Skinny Titus with 72. Oh, Skinny. Mm. Um, pre-season there were reports that Jack Dyer was also going to cross to Camberwell. Huh. Um, but he chose not to, um, I think because he didn't want to get... Uh, barred from Richmond because he had aspirations of coaching later on so he didn't want to leave round one there was a new concrete grandstand at Punt Road that was opened in that game against North Melbourne Huey James who was a former Tigers legend um, came over from New Zealand to address the team as they ran out to win I couldn't uh, North Melbourne Uh, round two Carlton defeated Richmond by a point at Princess Park Carlton scored the winning behind in the final seconds, but Richmond later on would complain that the behind was wrongly credited to Carlton during one of the quarters. Give it a shot. Um, they kind of complained, but nothing happened. Yeah. Mm. Uh, in, in this, Yeah. In this game, Jack Titus received a heavy knock early in the game, while Jack Dyer carried a broken nose throughout most of the match. Really? Oh. Yeah. Captain Blood, baby. That's it. Mm. Captain Blood. Smashed in the rough. Uh, round three, Punt Road's new concrete stand, the Ernest H. King stand, was officially opened. Prior to the game against Collingwood, the ceremony was broadcast on 3UZ by Jack Gurry. Um, and then the commencement of the game happened and was, I believe, also commentated by that radio station. In this game, Richmond defeated Magpies by 10 points before a crowd of about 30,000. Um, during the match, a one James Party uh, did, assaulted a policeman uh, <laughs> and was sentenced to pay a fine totaling 16... 16 pounds I guess 
Or he could do he could do that or spend thirteen weeks in jail. <laughs> I, I'm not sure he which in one, my he notes, what, one he chose. I mean, if you had Hopefully, the money, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pass the cup around everyone. Mm. Round six, Lord Huntingfield, the Governor of Victoria and the Acting Governor General, attended Richmond's game against Geelong at Punt Road. Um, in this game, Richmond won by 39 points, and he was made an honorary member of the Richmond Football Club. Yeah. Mm. Doesn't happen very often. If well, it, yeah, it does. No. <laughs> Anytime there's an international star who goes to the club, they always get their personalised jersey That's and their players get photos with them. Uh, round eight, Richmond regains a place in the top four uh, by percentage after it defeated South Melbourne at Albert Park. Jack Titus contributed four goals to the Tigers' victory, despite being offered yeah. a fifty-pound bribe to play dead. Yeah. Prior to this game. Um, well, that's quite a lot of money, yeah. isn't, it? isn't that? When they're by getting bit, by but, some sort of betting syndicate. Yes, well, when yeah. they're getting three pounds a game, yeah, that's more well, than a season. And it would, just under a season's worth. If you were going to do it, that'd be yeah. the game to try and get someone to play dead in, isn't it? Because South Melbourne sitting dead last, Richmond would have been massive favourite. Oh so yeah, put your money on South. Mm. Yeah, um, you can see why they do it. He reported it to the uh, to the Tigers Smith officials. Timothy. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Round 10, Richmond claimed second position after it defeated Melbourne on the ladder, um, who lost second place. So that game was at Punt Road. Round, 30, round 11, sorry. Footscray defeated Richmond at Western Oval. The Cubs were level on premiership points before the game, but because of the loss, the Tigers slipped to fourth. And then round 12, uh, Richmond narrowly lost to North Melbourne by four points, mm-hmm. seeing the Tigers drop out of the four. And now Ooh. they find it very hard to get back into the four. Round 13, Richmond easily defeated Carlton at Punt Road and regained its place in the top four. After this game, Ian Hull collapsed in the dressing rooms um, and was treated for a concussion at hospital. In this game, a total of 112 free kicks were given away, Kaz. Uh, Carlton got 65, Richmond 47. Also in this game, again against Carlton, Richmond were going to protest the awarding of a behind to Carlton during the second minute of Saturday's match. Um, because this had happened before, Richmond wanted to make sure this wasn't a continuous yeah. thing. Mm. Um, it possibly cost them that match earlier on in the season as well. Uh, so they wanted to just raise that, that you know, you've got to be really careful on the scores of what's happening here. Round 14, Richmond defeated Collingwood at Victoria Park. Round 16, Richmond returned to the top four with a win over Hawthorne. Um, in this game... No. Round 17, Richmond lost to Geelong in Geelong and dropped out of the four again. So they're really yo-yoing in and out. They are, yeah. Mm-hmm. Richmond had no chance of regaining its finals place. Jack Titus was included in the Tigers' side despite having a slipped knee cartilage. He played poorly, kicked one goal, and was replaced at the start of the final term. But I think Jack Titus is on like a record game streak at the moment. He's oh, been so playing. they were trying to put him in, or maybe, I'm, to keep him going. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure he held the record until Jim Steins broke it in the 90s. Because oh, like, he's from McHale, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, Richmond, who have been perennial finalists, I mean they slipped down. Thirty six, they didn't make finals, but that's the only time since twenty seven they haven't made with, finals. Yeah, yeah, with a few games, they're a bit luckless though this yeah, season, weren't they? It. Yeah, luckless because they've got a pretty decent percentage still, and mm. to have lost those couple of games, they, just, they really should have won. They're a game well. and a half, two game, yeah, just two games out. Yeah, poor Richmond, poor, poor Richmond. Richmond. Mm. Don't say that very often. <laughs> not lately, no. Oh, well, Melbourne, Melbourne, Melbourne. We're nearly at the glory days, but not quite. <laughs> Finishing fifth. With, I know, so close. Fifth with 11 wins, seven losses, and a percentage of 106 oh, on the dot. Just outside the final. So close. Mm. Unbelievable. The, uh, we conti- you know, we're continuing our run. Continuing our run. The team's there. Yeah, building we're the big climbing the stairs. Building. <laughs> 
Captain by the great man Alan LaFontaine, coached by Checker Hughes. Lead goal kicker was the Red Fox, Norm Smith with 80. Uh, I mean, there are some names for you. Yeah. Just, uh, <laughs> just reel them off. That's Absolutely. how we're feeling. It's a shame it's not the 39, 40 or 41 season because I'm in a room with four Demon supporters. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't wait. Maybe, maybe it's good for me that yeah, we're exactly. yeah. 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 Um, Now, am I right in thinking, Charlie, you might know more about me, this than me, but there was a giant demon head put above the rooms? Now, I've heard well, about this. Now, I thought it was in there a few the, seasons ago. Percy Page had got a big demon like put up on the wall. For them to inspire them as they ran out to their games. Right. I, don't, I, I don't know about that actually. No, I thought you guys already mentioned uh, that. That's all possibly. Right. That's well, there's an article about it in the uh, on Trove that I came across. Oh, I love uh, it. Mm. Big purse. He's a great secretary. <laughs> he was. <laughs> all right, round one matched up against the reigning premiers on their own home ground, so in Corio. And they hadn't lost there in 1937. Melbourne served notice that it would be a contender in 38 with an upset victory. Ah, yes. Over the, and their largest ever score at Cryo Oval. Now, is this another one to add to the curse of the president's wife? It is. It's it the, is. It is the first time since the early 20s that they, the Premier lost. has lost. I'll tell you when. On the unfurling. It was, the last one was 1924. There we go. And did the president's wife unfurl the flag for them? I assume so. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Um... Yes, yeah, so Norm Smith kicked six in this, and Ron Baggett four and Hugh Murnane four. Yeah, so a great start for the uh, the D's. Round two, Hawthorne came from behind to beat them at the MCG for the first time, as we said. That was round two. Round four, a close game for three quarters. The Demons turned for home and unlucky eleven points down against South Melbourne. I believe this was. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack Mueller was thrown into the ruck, and the Demons kicked five goals in the first five minutes to blow the match wide open. And it continued to run away with the game. Norm Smith kicked just six goals. <laughs> he had a hand in many of the sides of other majors, but it was Mueller's move into the play. Yeah, it was Mueller's move into the ruck that swung the game. He was a match winner in the five-minute burst that won the game. The Demons kicked eleven goals five in the final quarter oh, to South and one goal two. <laughs> Great. Mueller's our eight-fingered friend too. He is, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Uh, Around six, Carlton went into this match against Melbourne unbeaten while Melbourne had suffered two defeats and were third on the ladder. So it was a surprise when the visitors kicked with the breeze and obliterated the top... So the visitors being Melbourne. Melbourne, yeah. Obliterated the top of the table blues with an eight goal to nil first quarter. Eight goal to nil first quarter. After 11 goal... Oh, that was round four. Um, Carlton slowly pegged the lead back. The wind died down in the last quarter, but the blues continued to play the better football and hit the lead with only a few minutes remaining, Charlie. Despite being down another player in the last quarter thanks to Jack Mueller, our eight-fingered friend, being struck and knocked, struck down and knocked out by a Carlton player, um, Melbourne struck back with a goal from Percy Beams to retake the lead and hold on to it until the final siren. Oh, I love it. Oh, this, you've got to say something about a team that's up and coming, and no matter It's exciting it football. It is exciting yeah, football. The way you read that too was great, Tim. I was, yeah. I was with you the whole ride there. I rode you home. You're winning friends, Tim. Thank you. Thank you. Everyone. Uh, round seven. <laughs> Playing Collingwood, a crowd of 30,000 or so saw a thrilling finish between two top four contenders, which uh, is always a good game recently because for last season, for the first time in a long time, Melbourne actually beat Collingwood yes. in both home and away matches. Mm. And in this game, they would make it three in a row in the home yes. and away season. <laughs> with an awesome. unprecedented win. Um, but instead of a high-scoring game, spectators saw a hard slog where Melbourne were the better side all day 
but never far enough in front to feel safe. Ah, uh, yeah. Mm. No, we we've know all, that. We've all been there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, haven't we, uh, Round eight, playing north, the Demons at one stage kicked 10 goals in a row. But with the game sewn up at half-time, they slackened off, only kicking two goals nine in the final quarter. It's Norm Smith kicking eight. Good on him. Mm. Jeez. Round 10, saw a loss to Richmond at Front Road Oval. Richmond won the free kick count 54-37 here in the Melbourne camp. Complained about inconsistency in the decisions. We've always had an issue with the free kicks. Still do, I reckon. This, uh, this loss was followed by two more, which saw the Demons now out of the four. And, uh, you know, finals coming up. Robbed by the umpires. Yes. <laughs> Round 13, early in the third quarter, Melbourne's defence comfortably took, after, took care of Hawthorne's rare attacks. The May Bloom defence was also strong, keeping the Demons to a three-quarter time lead, a, a short, a small three-quarter time lead. In the last quarter, they put it in a full-force comeback. Melbourne was flustered and started to make errors, allowing the home side to hit the front early in the term. It took Melbourne ten minutes of scrambling to force through two behinds and get back in front uh, by the point they needed to win. So they, that was one of the one-point wins in round 13 also. Ah, Round 15, as the team needed to win all remaining games to make finals, they beat, Nor- they beat South at Lakeside Oval with Norm Smith kicking eight again. <laughs> Round 17, their hopes of finals hung by a thread and they took on top of the ladder Carlton mm-hmm. at the MCG. However, for the second time this season, Melbourne came out on top with an upset victory. Um, it was crucial in keeping their finals hopes what? alive. But Round 18... Mm-hmm. Now, now we know we know Melbourne finished fifth because you've read that out already. Mm. I know, um, it still hurts. They needed to win their final <laughs> game of the season. And the team travelled to Vic Park to take on Collingwood. And although they kept pace with the Pies throughout the game, they couldn't quite get in front, going down by nine points and once again succumbing to the Harry Bully Hex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping a curse was involved somehow. Yes, it's the Hex. Uh, for your information, Murph, I know I can see your interested mm. look there. Yeah. Uh, named after Harry Bully from 1901. Um, needing to win their final game of the season that year. He missed several easy shots at goal, and the team lost that game and missed out on finals. Um, other years they have fallen to this hex include two th- uh, 1909, 1927, 29, 1930, uh, and you can you can put in, what was it, 2017? We don't talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, 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 uh, the hex may change names in the sort of the 60s, though. Okay. I think there's there's something else that we do that... Ruins us for, for a long, long time. <laughs> oh. Did Bully play for Melbourne? Yeah, he did. He did. He did. In 1901. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's completely made up right. by me as well. Yeah. Uh, good. It's not a real thing. But That's a very good it thing. Is now, it is. It's definitely a it's real thing. It's going to catch on, Tim. Okay. It's a real thing. Make it a hashtag. Well, at, least we missed out, at least we missed out by 4% rather than half a percent yeah. like we did in 2017. Yes. Because yeah. that hurt true. a lot. That's true. Mm. Harry. All right, we've reached the podium. In yes. fourth place was Collingwood. Um, they had 12 wins, six losses, and finished on a percentage of 117.6. Yes. 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 So, uh, I wonder who that is. Who's their coach? Oh, who's their coach, you ask? Surprise, surprise. It's John McHale still. Okay. Yeah. Of course. Who's their captain, you ask? <laughs> still Harry Collier. Still Harry Collier, yeah. <laughs> and their lead goal kicker. Well, it's actually something different. Yeah, it is, because, yeah, yeah. because Nuts Coventry's retired. No, yeah. But still, we have someone who's kicked over 100 goals. We do, so yes. Ron Todd has kicked yeah. 120. They've really taken no time filling the space. Of well, they've gone, they've they've gone from Dick Lee to Gordon Coventry to Ron Todd. I it's mean. ridiculous. <laughs> the setup's insane. So some debutantes include Gordon Hocking and another person by the name of Don Belfour, which is quite coincidental yeah. because it's the name of the owner of this house we are recording in. <laughs> yeah. Mm, works out. No relation, though. No, 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 no relation. No relation, no. Hmm, uh, Hocking was a knock ruckman. 
Um, played a few other positions around the ground though. Um, yeah, and uh, he, he played his, his debut season was a lose, losing grand final in his first two seasons. It says, but yes, otherwise known as a, as a very good player. There you go. And that's my story about. Hockey. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Tweet us in. What? <laughs> Tweet what in? Whatever you want. Any more about Gary Hockey? That Gordon Hockey. Just throw it right out. <laughs> <laughs> did I say Gary? Yeah, but Hawkins a few years off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was 178 centimetres. Oh, good. <laughs> That's a Ruckman. No, he played 171 games, actually. So yes. he, he played he retired in 1952. So we're going to. There's a lot of Gordon to enjoy. There is some clarification on actually how tall he was then, if he's not 100 and. Is he 178? <laughs> he, is a, he is 178. Okay, he's good. Good. All right, we're oh, there. Okay. It's more than me. It's 178 centimetres with 171 goals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Clear. Oh, uh, round, yeah, I thought I'd mess that up as well. Round one, they yes. defeated arch rival, old arch rival Fitzroy at Brunswick Street Oval by three goals with Ron Todd kicking four in his first game post nuts. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it, yeah. Post nuts. It posted, yeah, since Gordon Coventry retired, yes. say, he still has his own nuts. Mm. We're just, he does. I'll just clarify. That's a relief. No comment. Um, round three, they played Richmond at Punt Road and allowed the Tigers to kick away in the first half before a inspired Mikhail speech ensued a comeback. However, they could only kick five goals, ten in the third quarter to Richmond's one goal. One, this inaccuracy ended up costing them as they lost by ten points. Um, but really, the, the big thing to talk about with Collingwood this year has happened in round five. Yeah. Um, so, it was a battle against arch-nemesis Carlton, and we're really in the heyday of the Carlton-Collingwood rivalry. Yeah. I mean, we, we talk about it these days, and it's nothing. I mean, there's been nothing between them for years. Well, they can't, there really hasn't had a, been a chance to. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, they really try and fabricate it, but this, we're in the time here of the real hatred for each other. Um, in this game, the Pies surged away in the first half, which included nine goals, two in the first half to Ron Todd. He'd finished with 11, which was his first bag of uh, double-digit goals. Um, Collingwood led by 39 points at half-time, and the game looked over. As the teams left the field, words were exchanged between Collingwood captain Harry Collier and Carlton's dynamic pint-sized wingman, Jack Carney. 160 centimetres he stood. Mm. There you go. It's tiny. Um, (laughs) Enraged, Collier punched Carney in the face. As a result, a brawl erupted involving all players, trainers, and even some of the crowd... Um, requiring police intervention to prevent a riot. Mm-hmm. Harry thought he'd got away with this as well as no official had actually seen it. However, Carlton were incensed and put in an official complaint. Harry had to front the VFL Inquisition and was most honest when he did, although he did embellish the fact that Carney had sworn at him, which I don't think he had, um, and that his 13-year unblemished record should be used for leniency. Well, However, the VFL didn't see it this Yeah, way. well, we know that they, they don't often after Co- what happened to Coventry as well. Mm, they suspended him for 14 weeks, the 14. rest of the season. The rest of the home and away yeah. season. No, yeah. the whole Whoa. season. Wow. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Hold on, so... No, can't, can't it? Anyway. No, he did. Um, so was it Albert Collier must be... No, they've got Harry Collier as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is what Harry said in 1990 um, about the incident. At the end of the day, I went to shake Brighton Diggins' hand because they just knocked us off. Anyhow, I stood with him the next minute. Carney comes up alongside me and passed a remark. I couldn't tell you what he said, and you couldn't put it in the newspapers, but I wasn't happy. So all I did was turn around, and I didn't punch him. I sort of pushed him and said, don't argue. Um, So this was the third year in a row that something like this had happened to a Collingwood player. Um, So Collingwood really 
feel like they're being targeted here. Yeah. Um, there was a massive petition put together by the um, supporters, and the VFL considered it. Um, Collingwood didn't acknowledge it because they didn't want to disagree with the VFL. Um, and the petition to get him off was voted down like nine to ten. It was one vote off. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so it was quite close. Um, in round six, Collingwood came out angry and beat North by 82 points. Todd again kicking double figures, ten goals. Um, he was going from strength to strength as a full forward. He was a soaring high mark, agile on the ground, and possessed a marvellous kicking capacity. By round 10, the team had lost four and needed to win seven of the last nine to make finals. Mm. They went down to Corio to take on the Black Cats. Uh, they used the win to get ahead early, but the Cats stormed back to lead by 16 points at three-quarter time. Jock McHale made no less than 11 positional changes. Uh, with clear instructions in their mind, Collingwood took to the field. Uh, Reg Hickey, comment, calling a John captain, commented, I thought they must have forgotten which way they were kicking. <laughs> um, these changes included Ron Todd moving to the half-forward flank, Fonzie Kine to the centre-half-forward, Pat Fricker went to full-back, and Alan Ryan and Marcus Boyle were in the ruck. Um, Collingwood kicked against the wind, but McHale called for low kicks, and although Geelong looked to hold on to its lead, Collingwood kicked five goals four into the wind to win the game by five points. Give themselves a chance at finals. Uh, round 16 was the rematch. Collingwood looked forward to against... Uh, sorry, Collingwood who were looking forward to this game against Carlton. A loss would mean they'd miss finals. Um, so with Harry Collier in the stands, disaster struck once again, with Albert Collier receiving a severe leg injury. Mm. However, this spurred on the Pies, who slammed on seven goals in the first quarter. They led throughout, however, Carlton got to within three points in the last quarter, and it rattled the Pies supporters so much... So it rattled one supporter so much that when a, when the ball went over the um, fence, he refused to give it back for four minutes. And at that time, Collingwood seemed to have steadied themselves and won, ran out 20-point winners. <laughs> they seemed so quiet in that era. They're like, please give it back. Oh, yeah. I'm not giving it. Please. Yeah. Four minutes yeah. is a long, a long time. Yeah. Someone just jumped the fence and grabbed Especially it. Especially, like, you know how teams get a run on and, and mm, you just can't stop that momentum. back in, yeah. yeah. Um, and then round 18 That's was that playoff game with Melbourne, the winner making the finals. And we know that Collingwood were able to snatch that opportunity and uh, beat the Demons by nine points to qualify for finals. In this game, Ron Todd kicked four, including his 100th goal for the season. Huge. Mm-hmm. Huge. I like some of the stories we had when we first started, when the ball got popped. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they couldn't find a replacement. Yeah. <laughs> All right, in bronze position, foot spray finishing with 13 wins, five losses, and a percentage of, well, a whopping percentage of 124.3. Huge. Huge. What are the Bulldogs doing in the finals? Yeah, unbelievable. Mm. Our first of the new teams to make yeah. the finals. Bringing their VFA success into the VFL. That's it, finally. Mm. Well, yeah. Yeah. Depth. So, uh, captained by Roy Evans and coached by Joe Kelly, their lead goal kicker was Charlie Luke with 44. So, as we just said, this is the first of the new the 1925 teams to make the finals. Norths are still uh, six, seven years away. Hawthorne are still 20 or so years away. <laughs> mm. So, mm. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and 1938 was the year the club officially embraced the name the Bulldogs. Ah. Although it had been used several years beforehand in the media and unofficially, um, they actually embraced it this year. Uh, popular history has it that a Bulldog literally led the team out onto the ground one day in 1928. Love it. <laughs> um, debutantes included a... Player, former Melbourne player, Cactus Jack Coolahan. Cactus Jack. <laughs> Cactus Jack. I love it. Um, round one, there was a disaster. They suffered a five-goal loss to the team that finished ninth the previous season and would go on to win the wooden spoon, South Melbourne. 
Um, but what followed was two strong wins over Fitzroy and Hawthorne. Round four, they were playing Geelong, and they trailed by two points at the half, but couldn't quite get the score on the board to put them in front. Local papers commenting that winning with the Footscray forward line was like launching from a sinking ship with a boat full of holes. <laughs> <laughs> they lost this game by seven points. Well, that is a great analogy. Yeah. <laughs> Very um, round five, they played Melbourne. Now, Melbourne in this game swung Mueller into the ruck again in the last quarter. Obviously, that was one of their tactics. Yeah. Um, and both teams yep. traded goals throughout the, t- the term. Melbourne were starting to tire and they had enough in them to snatch the lead late in the quarter through a Barassi goal. However, Footscray almost instantly went forward and Norm Ware was awarded a free kick in a marking contest 50 metres out from goal. He connected well with the ball and it crossed the line, but the goal umpire um, were forced and the umpire had to decide whether it was touched as it crossed the line. Uh-huh. They eventually ruled that it had been touched um, and Footscray were winners. The Demons declined to lodge a formal protest. So the dogs won. Disappointing. Doggies won that one, yep. Yeah. Uh, round six, they smashed the Saints at Western Oval by 11 goals and suddenly, doggies are in the top four. Hey! What's going on? <laughs> um, round nine, their big test came against Collingwood. You know, we're playing a real team that's, yeah, uh, Collingwood have been it. up there for so long. Mm. Um, this team, granted they were missing both Collier brothers and Jack Regan, although Footscray were without Arthur Oliver as well. They started well and held Collingwood to one point in the opening quarter while adding three goals five themselves. Um, they held the lead all day and managed to win uh, dislo- by dislocating the Magpies, as a report said. <laughs> <laughs> Round 10, in an 11-point win over Essendon at Windy Hill, Harry Hickey kicked four goals and had 30 kicks. Norm Ware had 27 kicks and Charlie Luke kicked five goals. Wow. So I like it when I can the find like, the odd stats here and there. 30 kicks. Yeah, it's a era. It's a lot. Who's counting kicks then as well? Uh, round 11, they crushed Richmond by 52 points and moved into second place. Finals were now almost a given mm. oh, really for the um, One thing to add to this as well is how much influence has Sid Coventry had on this team? I mean, yeah, he yeah, left at the start of last season, but he really vowed to turn the club around as well. So yeah, I, hasn't he just? I mean, no, but like he's that. not there. He left and they've not been coached by him anymore. Yeah, but they... Did he set in, in, set in motion? Things. Yeah. Because they were, but they were starting to... Like, they got themselves out of the doldrums in the last couple of years. Well, he came like across he, and they finished second last. But he can't... He mm. can't yeah, this, the year he came across, right? 10th and then 11th for the last two finishes. Okay, yeah. Okay. So he's really lifted them. Um... Where was I? Um, round 11, they crushed Richmond. All was going smoothly until they travelled to Geelong. Um, with some dodgy umpiring awarding a point instead of a goal to Norm Ware, uh, their forwards again were blamed for a 23-point loss to Geelong. But round 16, they took this aggression out on Melbourne in a tough affair. No. Jack Mueller elbowed Arthur Oliver in a marking duel. No. So Cliff McRae returned the favour by sending Mueller's head back with a right hook. Oh, um, despite this spitefulness, Footscray were the team to kick their heads and won this game by 40 points. 40? Yes. Uh, round 17, they had a surprising loss to St Kilda at Junction Oval, with the players seemingly thinking more about finals and the double chance than the game at hand. Yeah. Mm. Ultimately, that would be the game that cost them the double chance. Um, and they won their final game of the season and against North Melbourne became the first of the expansion teams to make finals. Yeah. Finishing third... Only on percentage. percentage yeah, 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 so close. Mm. Uh, are we sorry? Are we reading anything into um, the schism happening this year and Footscray making the finals? Because uh, they'd be thinking, oh, if, if VFA is more attractive, <laughs> and we finally only just started going well. Yeah, 
You could Could read into it that way. I don't know. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Maybe they didn't have as many players leaving. No. 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 Well, there weren't a heap of players. I I think Collingwood are the ones who caused the most of it. The ties with the VFA are gone. Yeah. With Footscray. They're not seen as a VFA side. Oh, not at all. No. So that's it. Been there for 13 years. Yes. Yeah. All right. Second body. Second, as Timmy just said, um, just above Footscray only in percentage with Geelong. Also with 13 wins and five losses. But Footscray were on 124.3% and Geelong were on 129.2%. Oof, so close. So close. So the Black Cats taking out second spot. Captain coached by Reg Hickey this year. Their lead goal kicker was Clyde Helmer with 74. Yeah. Um, a little interesting fact for you, Timmy. I'm sure you heard this one. One of the uh, halfback flankers for Geelong this year, Jack Grant, won the store gift. I did hear that. In yes. A, <laughs> in a um, in eleven and eleven sixteenths seconds, off a handicap of eleven and a half yards. Yeah. <laughs> eleven and eleven sixteenths seconds. Who's counting seconds in? 16th? Especially in 1938. Yeah. <laughs> so this is what the. Third, fourth, fifth <laughs> stall gift winner that's also played VFL. Yeah, it's been quite a yeah, lot. Yeah, I know Essendon had a few. A, I think yeah. Geelong and Collingwood have both had yeah, other ones. Yeah, a few. Um, other debutants include Doug Rankin. Rankin being a famous name. Certainly yeah. is. Is this a relative? Son of Teddy. Half brother of Cliff and Bert. Hey. And we've also got Jack Collins returning to the club after a three year absence. Well, it's a shame they didn't have, uh, weren't able to have daughters play. At this time, oh, yeah. right on, Cass. Rankin's but um, Georgie Rankin now plays for the Geelong AFLW team. Hey, there you go. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that's cool. That's Maintaining. Cool. Yep, love a full circle moment. Um, now, as we talked yeah. about, uh, round one, Geelong succumb to the curse of the president's wife, losing to Melbourne at home. Mm-hmm. Um, during this game. Store gift winner Jack Grant gave a demonstration of his run at three quarter time and also circled the ground wearing his winner's sash. Excellent. <laughs> I mean, we wouldn't allow that these days. Should he be running at three quarter time when he's supposed to be playing a game? Um, if you were Jaden Hunt. Then like round two, yeah. things went from uh, bad to worse with a loss again at Junction Oval to St Kilda, where Geelong really don't have a good record. They keep, at Junction Oval? Yeah, they, really? they quite often will get beaten by St Kilda there no matter where they are on the ladder. Mm. Uh, round five in a 72 point win over Fitzroy Ruckman Jack Evans announces his retirement as he had to move to Warrnambool um, he was a policeman so he had to take over operations of the police department yeah so he had to move uh, Norm Glenister Gelnister kicking six goals in this game round seven they had a big win over South Melbourne and Geelong broke an unwanted record <laughs> in scoring a record number of behinds being 32 behinds. 32 behinds in a game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, quarter by quarter breakdown, we've got 7, 7, 8, and 10 for a whopping 41 shots on goal. So, what was the actual breakdown? Do we know, like, goals to points? Um, so, it was 32. So, they had 41 shots on goal, 32 points. So, so it's 8. No, 9. Oh, no, so, 9, 32. No, they must have kicked more than that. Yeah. They, they won by 76 points. Um, but yeah, we're we not 100% Anyway, sure. I know of those points Clyde Helmer kicked six of them Norm Glenister kicked seven And Jack Butcher kicked four Oof. Yeah, uh, Round 12 When the ball sounded to end the first quarter Between Melbourne and Geelong Umpire Blackburn didn't hear it And the timekeeper continued to ring the ball, a bell mm. until, uh, until the umpire finally, finally heard it 
which was about 20 seconds later. By this time, Jack Mueller of Melbourne had taken a mark and kicked the goal. Uh, Geelong still won by three goals. I mean, in in the end, it didn't affect anything. They tried to fix this years ago, and we still don't know what's going on. It's a continuous... Uh, issue. Round 16, another strong win over Fitzroy. Clyde Helmer kicked eight goals, which was a season high for himself. Um, and so the round the season now, if you remember last season, the Cats lost Les Hardiman and Jack Metherill, yes. who were big goal kickers. But Clyde Helmer and Norm Glenister have kicked 124 goals between, between them, them. So quite an apt replacement for those two players. Not bad. So Both of them scored in every single game as well. Glenister must have kicked about 50. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Not bad. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. And top of the table, Moss. Top of the table by process of elimination. You may already know this, but it was indeed Carlton. 14 wins, 4 losses, and a percentage of 116.1. Cockatoo. Cockatoo. Unbelievable. So, uh, uh, captain coached by Brighton Diggins. Their lead goal kicker was uh, Harry Sophie Valance with 81. Mm. Um, would you like to know the story behind the Cockatoo? Yes, please. The story of Cocky Ma. Um, Already love it. Um, So this legend is believed to have started early in the 30s, uh, possibly earlier, when Handler and Carlton fan Robert St. Ma um, started coming to the game with a cockatoo on his shoulder. Um, So every second Saturday at home games at Princes Park... um, Cocky Ma would sit on Robert's shoulder and he would greet each Carlton goal with a high-pitched squawk of Go Blues! <gasps> and, the, awesome. uh, and wildly flapping his wings. And so the um, the media obviously cottoned onto this and Carlton games were quite often reported with a Carlton cockatoo kind of as a, as a representation. Mm. Um, it would be amazing if they kept that. Know, yeah, it'd be so cool. cool. Um, one of his other catchphrases was, up there, Soapy, when Soapy Ma would kick goals. Um, so he, Soapy Ma was with that club until the, the Cockatoo was 43 when it died, I believe. Wow. Um, and got stuffed, and the club actually have him there still. <laughs> so you can, I think if you go to the museum, you can see him there. Oh, That's great that they've held on to it down yeah. there. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's quite a little cool little Cockatoo. I quite like oh, there. Oh, yeah. You can see it. It's the same one I love it. in the other pictures. Yeah, cool. <laughs> That story is even better than I thought it was. Yeah, you did that. I like all the Yeah. I wonder why the, the, the cockatoo sort of name didn't just sort of faded away and didn't stick after no, that, not that really. time. Threat- it's, it's not really threatening, but neither is a blue, is it? No, that's yeah. it. Yeah. It's yeah, not that's less sort of um, tenuous than any of the other nicknames that clubs mm. have. Well, what is, is what it? is a blue? Yeah. Yeah, 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 well, there's a thing that's besides a It's an emotion. It's an emotion, yeah. So it's not very. Feeling down. Blue cockies or the cocker blues? Cocker blues. Cocky Blues. Nice. Um, yeah, so that's the legend of Cocky Ma. Mm. Let's bring him back. Bring it. Bring back the cockies. Um, so some debutants for Carlton this season include Ken Baxter, Kasman. Ken Charlie, Ken Fleetwood Smith Baxter. I like that. Ken that Fleetwood, Smith, Fleetwood Smith, Smith. Nothing there about his um, nickname, but I like it. <laughs> well, we're talking about it. So he was um, six foot, even, and. Uh, Obviously debuted in a premiership year, but went on to be a leading goal kicker for many, many, many years. Um, I'm not going to list them all. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. They've taken great player, I, and I believe he was brought in as like the replacement for Soapy Balance eventually. Oh. Yeah, well, yeah, as, as succession as you know, uh, Soapy almost retired at the beginning of this year. He well, yeah, he gone out in the 37 season. Played in that last game it's, thinking I'll go to the VFA for more money. Yeah, that's it. But they convinced yeah. him to stick around. He yeah. was going to go to. Williamstown. Was he? Uh, okay. Yeah. 
Um, the other thing that happened was uh, Carlton had a new president in Sir Kenneth Luke, who would be in this role until 55. And then actually from 56 to 71, he was the league president. See, I'm telling you what. Stability off field. Mm. We talk about a lot. Strength. You know, yeah, and Carlton's been through exactly. And that's right, they're strong again. Look what's So Diggins got the clearance from South, and the first thing he did was convince Soapy Valance to play one more season, promising yep. Diggins promising him, you won't be dropped. Yeah. Mm. Um, so in his first game, round one, Soapy Valance kicked five goals, and 10-game ga- ten player Mickey Price also kicked five in a 16-point win over Hawthorne, uh, which wasn't the greatest start to beat Hawthorne by only 16 points, but it was a win. Yeah, exactly. Uh, round two was a close game throughout against Richmond at Prince's Park. Uh, with only 10 minutes to go, Richmond made its last magnificent efforts. Harris hit the post. Skinny Titus kicked a goal and followed it up with another to lead by two points. Strang marked superbly in defence, but Carlton was not to be denied, with Mick Crisp missing at point blank range and kicking the equalising score later. Uh, sorry, he, he missed at point blank range. Uh, yeah. With only a minute left, a desperate battle developed. A free kick was given against Richmond. The ball shot out to Stocks Cooper in the open, and a behind was scored just before <laughs> the bell rang, and Carlton had won by a point. Coops. Um, this was also the first time that Bob Chitty and Jack Dyer would come face-to-face. Um, they'll have a few entanglements later on in history, <laughs> this year not so much. Round three was another one-point win, this time against Essendon, who had rallied from five goals down late in the game. Harry Hollingshead's five goals equaled the number of weeks he would miss for striking the Bombers' Frank Kelly. (laughs) Um, In this game as well, someone had allegedly thrown bottles at the umpire, and we know Carlton are usually throwing stones at umpires, but this is the Carlton tradition. Great one at that. Round six, Carlton's first loss was inflicted by Melbourne by seven points, despite Soapy's seven goals. Uh, then following this regulation wins came and it wasn't until round 11 when Carlton was really challenged again with Geelong storming back in the last quarter kicking 7-5 to Carlton's 1-1 uh, but again Soapy saved the day with his 6 and Geelong so, well, he didn't save the day because Geelong won by a goal <laughs> save them from losing by more obviously. Mm, yeah, save, save them from the round 13 saw the Tigers beat Carlton the team was missing Soapy Valance and Ken Baxter actually got thumped by 41 points in this Round 15, Soapy Valance had a day out against Fitzroy, kicking 11 goals, including his 700th league goal. Huge. Whoa. He would receive a telegram from several people, including Bill Moore of St Kilda, to congratulate him. That's nice. All the the big goal kickers just getting together. Yeah. Having a little club. (laughs) The 100 100 club. It really seems like the backing of the club has has allowed him to relax into that season and have a big goal kicking season. Yeah. After two two losses in a row in round 16 and 17, Carlton won their final game of the season against St Kilda by 16 points to finish on top of the ladder. However, a sour taste was left in the mouth of the team by the report and subsequent four-match ban handed out to Ron Sox Cooper. For striking the Saints, Doug Raymond, his season was now over. Oh, mm. Socks, Cooper, and that mm-hmm. gets should say that there was an interesting stat that I heard as well about uh, Carlton this year. So they won, they beat Collingwood in round five, mm-hmm. which meant after that win, they had an overall winning record since the start of the VFL over every other team. Yes. So they had they held. They've beaten every other team in the VFL more than they'd lost to every other Until team. they played mm. Collingwood again later. Until they the played Collingwood again later, which mm. evened it out. But then, oh, yeah. in finals, yeah. they took it again. Mm. Uh-huh. So, and I think that's the last time this ever happens. Oh, cool. Which oh. is pretty cool. Right, so that gets us to Big Red's Roundup. Big Red's local footy roundup. All your state and suburban football action. Sinking our teeth into grassroots football. 
Oh, yeah, look, it's great to uh, be in the year to do the roundup, Tim. It's um, you know, long been known that I do this on location, <laughs> so it's uh, good to be in with everyone. But um, let's look at the 38th season of football from around this great country. Uh, so first, we're going to look at the, the Sandful. Uh, and in the 59th season of competition, South Adelaide finished on top of the ladder with a strong uh, final series and have won their 10th premiership. Uh, the grand final saw South Adelaide turn the tide on their opponent, Port Adelaide, from the 1937 grand final loss and win convincingly by 47 points at the Adelaide Oval. Uh, the game between South and Port was also the highest attended game for the season with just under 34,000 fans cheering on those two teams. Uh, Sandful legend Ken Farmer has again won the league goal kicking with 112 goals. Oh, that's, that's not many for him. Not many, no. He's, uh, he does average over 100 and he does yeah. so for 11 seasons in a row. <laughs> um, for his North Adelaide side, uh, in a season that saw his team miss the finals for the second year in a row. The McGarry medal was won by Port Adelaide star player Bob Quinn. Um, Quinn, during the 38th season, was approached by Geelong and Collingwood to play in the VFL. Uh, and was a likely recruit and was cleared to do so by Port. But due to the residency, residency rule in the VFL or the crossover at the time, Quinn wasn't keen to sit out for 12 months of football. Uh, so he took on a coaching role with the Port side for the 39 season, which took them to more finals and more success. Um, interestingly, though, Quinn, having won the 38 McGarry medal, was the runner-up in the 37 McGarry medal. And in 1937... They changed the voting system for this particular season, going from the traditional 3-2-1 voting to a 5-3-1 voting, uh, trialling that new system. And in that, he's become the runner-up. But had they stayed with the regular voting, uh, he would have been deemed um, the winner by one vote in that season, which would have made him uh, have back-to-back wins. Um, But there'll be more from Quinn uh, and and his Port team in future roundups. In The Waffle, um, where after two losing grand finals and a drawn grand final, uh, Claremont have won their first premiership. Claremont uh, again turned the table on their grand final opponent, East Fremantle, who beat them in a close game in 1937 after a top-of-the-table finish. During the 38 grand final, Claremont was in front by 19 points halfway through the last quarter uh, but with a fast finish East Fremantle managed to level the scores 94 <coughs> apiece when the final bell rang levelling and drawing that grand final in the replay grand final the week after there were 16,000 fans at the Subiaco Oval that attended to see Claremont uh, dominate in the centre of the ground and in defence and manage a impressive 22 point win over their opponents Is that the first time we've had a drawn grand final that was the second time in Waffle history. Okay. The first one being uh, earlier in the 1900s. I can't recall okay. the year. It might have been like <laughs> 1906-ish, I think, was from my reading. But the second one in Waffle history. Yeah. Not sure about the other codes. Yeah, I heard um, The Waffle leading goal kicker um, for the season was West Perth goal sneak Ted Tyson with 127 majors, 126, sorry, majors to his name. A remarkable effort. Um for, uh, as his team only won two games for, for the season and finished dead last on the ladder. Um, the 38 season saw Tyson break many Australian football records with his goal kicking, all of which come in the final round of the season. His 17 goals, 5, 107, huh. r- remains the highest record for the most individual goals in a losing game. 
Wow. <laughs> and the previous best was uh, someone kicking 14. Uh, he also um, well, kicked the most goals by a player who kicked all but one of his team's total goals. Okay. Uh, he's another record. The previous best, <laughs> some kick was 13. Uh, so he's kicked 17 of his team's 18 goals. Yeah. Uh, and finally, um, his tally was the largest ever kicked in a, in a match for West Perth and remains still the record today. The McGarry Medal, uh, sorry, excuse me, in the Waffle was the Sandover Medal. Sorry, thank you, Tim. Uh, was won by first-year Waffle player Hayden Bunton <laughs> Senior. Uh, after the VFL champion transferred to Subiaco seeking employment uh, opportunities. So good to see that VFL champion coming across. Um, Subiaco, unfortunately, were only able to gain one extra win after securing uh, the champion Bunton for the season. Um but with Bunton, he also won the Subiaco's best and fairest, was the club's leading goal kicker. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, Tim uh, was a star for the WA uh, representative side, the second side in their win over the touring St. Kilda side. Mm. Quick look at the VFA, um, where this season, as we've spoken about briefly, sees the VFA break away from the VFL and um, many other leagues around the country. Um, but Brunswick are able to secure their third premiership and their first since the 1925 season. Um, there was an initial dispute about the grand final as the VFA had scheduled the ground at the Brunswick Cricket Oval. Mm. Um, but after Brunswick then made the grand final, Brighton lodged an official complaint and threatened to forfeit that game had it not been switched. So the game was played at Turak Park and 20,000 fans turned out to, to witness that game. Uh, it was a high-scoring game. Uh, the scores being 19-17-131 to Brighton's 14-14-98, so a 33-point win to the Brunswick side. Uh, maybe I won't go too much into the controversy surrounding that 1938 VFA season, as we spoke about um, that a bit earlier, Tim, in regards to schism. the schism uh, and the rule changes in the VFA and VFL and what that um, meant for both competitions. Uh but the, the rift existed for, I think, close to 11 years. I'm sure it'll come up again in future roundups and in kick-to-kick pods. <laughs> um, the Ted Fryer from Canberra was the association's leading goal kicker with 86 majors for the season. Came from Essendon as well. Um, <laughs> and the VFA still runs parallel Best and Fairest Awards, so the Recorder Cup and Association medal was won by um, Arthur Cutting from bottom of the ladder side, Williamstown. Bill Brownie, or Bill, sorry, Bill Downey, excuse me, from Northcote halved that Recorder Cup award with cutting, so it was shared, that award. Windsor, from a Queensland football competition, uh, completed a three-peats in the 1938 season. Davenport, Lafroy, and Launceston were all major winners in the Tasmanian competitions. Uni Blacks win the VAFA. And everyone, that's the roundup for the 1938 season. Until next time... Kick straight. It's good to hear that in person. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Uh, the other thing was the Brownlow Download. The Brownlow Download. Your time to shine. The Brownlow Download with Moz. All right. This year marks the third win for our man, King Richard, a.k.a. Richard Reynolds, a.k.a. Dick Reynolds. <laughs> um, he, he is now 23 years old with three Brownlow medals under his belt. Oh, mm. Pretty darn good. Not bad. Um, as in the previous years, his 
loping run, which was seemingly slow, continued to fool his matchups. He'd lope around and then all of a sudden whip around his opponents and get the ball all over the shop. Unbelievable. As has already been mentioned, uh, with his brother in the team as well, they were kicking goals just centre. Yep. Not even left, right and centre. <laughs> um, he finished with 18 votes and the runner-up, Hawthorne's Stan Spinks, finished with 17, so only one vote difference this this season. Now, following his win, there was quite a controversy in the media um, and it's a controversy that continues to the present day that it is a midfielder's award. Uh, Yeah, so there was quite a bit of backlash that again a midfielder, a rover had won the award. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, the gentleman that Dick always was a response that he made, and I've got this from Dan Eddy's book. He said in response to all of these um, articles that were coming up, um, no matter what system is devised, some fault will be found with it. I am lucky, and as a rover, I have nothing to complain about in the present system, but it does seem hard on the men in some key positions. He then went on to say, a full forward may get only a dozen kicks all day and with them kick a number of goals. He has done valuable work, but but it has not as much attractiveness to outsiders as the Rovers' work. In this, the system is hard on such champions as Jack Regan and Ron Todd. Mm. The umpire has enough difficulty in controlling the play, let alone having mm. to see who are the best players afield. Uh, yeah, so there was also controversy in that um, a lot of people were saying that the umpires shouldn't be the ones, to, well, shouldn't be the sole people casting mm. the votes. Yeah. We're going to focus on the game. Very fair. Exactly. These days it is, yeah. It continues to be. It's just a tradition, though, isn't it? But this is where it's <laughs> inception. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as of next year, Dick Reynolds begins as a captain coach and he will continue until 1951, so we still have a lot to hear about this elegant man. Mm-hmm. King Dick. Mm-hmm. King Dick. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Beautiful. Thanks, um, do you think 2020 will be the year we finally write a final song? I hope so. Yeah. Oh. I guess I want to be in the song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to. We, we've been promising it for so long. I know. We need a theme song going into finals. Anyway, finals. Now we've got the final. Finals. We've got the final. Keeps me up a jingle, though, doesn't it, Tim? It does. Because yeah. it's a celebration. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. So, week one of the finals. I mean, it says here Footscray. Is that, is that what? Right? That can't possibly Butch be Grey right. Collingwood. The MCG. That what? The mighty mm. The old Bulldogs. Um, so, before you get to talking about that game, prior to the game, um, the Bulldogs had a celebration cabaret night to celebrate the fact they'd made finals. Yeah, well, good. They deserve it. Um, at this game, they sung a new war song someone had written for them. <laughs> uh, now, try as I might, I could not find this song. Oh, um, so you'll have to deal with me just reading it. Okay. Um, it's called Growl of the Bulldog, to the tune of Legion of the Lost. Um, this is how it goes. The Bulldogs of the League, they call us. The Bulldogs of the League, we are. Our opponents known they've been playing. For the tougher they are, we're filled with glee. Playing on ahead with the enemy crying, Oliver, Stanfield, McCree, all flying. Opponents wilting, wailing, sighing. Bump, bump. On them, we'll raise some lumps. They'll be run off the earth, run off the earth when we meet. So fight so true, to fight so true for the red, white and blue, the Bulldogs of the league we are. 
I like that line to find so true for the red, white, and blue. It That's finished much stronger than it started. I must yeah. Say. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. So they sung that at this celebration dinner to celebrate the fact they'd made finals. Um, unfortunately, that was all they really had to celebrate because Aww. in this game, Charlie, um, you know, playing Collingwood, a very seasoned finals team. Yes. Um, things they were themselves run off the earth Collingwood kicked six goals one in the first quarter and just held on to that lead especially the, the uh, third quarter they kicked seven goals to two Des Fothergill was the Collingwood hero he roved to the Bulldogs with perfection kicking six goals um, LB Panham had five and Todd had four but I mean when you've got two of your midfielders kicking 11 goals between them yeah things are going pretty yeah. well um, Albert Collier played despite his injury and was amongst the best. He can play through, Al. Mm. He's a good man. Because there was speculation he wouldn't be able, he wouldn't be match fit. Um, so that was our first, first semi final. The week after, we have first versus second, which is Carlton versus Geelong. Mm. So the second semi, uh, yeah, against the top two, as you said, Carlton versus Geelong. Uh, at the MCG, funnily mm-hmm. enough, in yeah. front of 65,330 people. So the crowds are continuing to just get up there. Yeah. It's looking good. Um, and to continue the the way that it seems to be going for Carlton at this stage and after Geelong winning last year, it was going to be a close one. And it started quite close, only two points in it at quarter time. But um, they... Carlton then managed to run away a little bit and just keep on opening up the gap, winning eventually 16-17-113 to Geelong's 10-21-81. Yeah, inaccurate kicking. Very inaccurate. Neither team was said to have played well during the semi-final, but Carlton played well enough to easily account for Geelong. Um, The Blues kicked five goals to two in the second quarter, and after that were never really headed. Um, Ken Baxter kicked eight goals, and Soapy Valance only kicked two. Um, but this game was said to have been played in such good spirits that when Geelong's Laurie Shack fell heavily in the middle, Brighton Diggins, Carlton captain, ran to help him. And when Blues, the blue player Jack Hale went down with a cramp, the Cats' Alan Everett came and gave him assistance oh, until the trainers arrived. I like that. Delightful. Yeah. Um, which brings us to the preliminary final. In Geelong. the Paige McIntyre system, which we all know and love. We all love. <laughs> uh, so the next week, in front of 60,956 people on Saturday the 17th, of September, Geelong played Collingwood. They did. They certainly this did. This is a rematch of the 37 grand final. Yes. And Collingwood came out firing. They took they took five straight into the first change, Geelong kicking 1-6, so again being very inaccurate early. Mm. Um, and Collingwood just managed to keep up basically that same gap for the entire game, pushing it out a little bit more. So Collingwood ended up with 21 9 135 to Geelong's 14 14 98. Um, yeah, again, Des Fothergill dominating in uh, the middle, and Ron Todd was amazing in this game with 11 mm. goals. 
which sets up a grand final between Carlton and Collingwood. The rivals. Ooh. Traditional So we're rivals. talking at this stage of the season, they are one each in the home and away season. Yep, and they have an overall equal record against equal each other. Equal record against each other since the start of the VFL. Unbelievable. So no one knows what's going to happen. Mm. And you've really got to say now that Carlton have taken over Fitzroy's place as Collingwood's main rival. rival. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, Charlie, the attendance for this game. Huge. I love it. 96,486 people at the MCG. Wow. Is that a record? On the yeah. 24th of September, 1938. Is that a record by like yes. 15,000 yes. or something? Oh, quite a bit. They, yeah. had, they had to close the ground an hour before the game started. Um, one of the fence collapsed, so the players, uh, supporters actually sat on the ground, as we've seen happen before. But yeah. the, the place yeah. was humming. Yeah, ridiculous. Mm. Which we love. Yes. It's great. I mean, I worry about if I was there, how do I get to the toilet? If, I'm, I mean, if I'm stuck in the crowd. Mm. Imagine being a lady in that crowd. Yeah. Oh, no, it's probably worse being a man. There's probably a lot of men at that time. Yeah, yeah, probably yeah, worse being a lady. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's, uh, let's we, we bought the way back when phone, didn't we, Kaz? Yeah, I hope so. Let's, uh, let's boot it's that a very bad, important piece of machinery. Let's boot that, that bad boy up and uh, <laughs> let's, let's give old Brighton Diggins a call. Brighton, so great to be chatting. You two all, it's been a great day. It certainly has, to top off a great year. 23 years in the making. Long time coming, wasn't it? We were very happy with the way that we have played all year. It's been great and all the boys have really come together well. A year that you almost weren't a part of? We heard there was an offer on the table from up north. Yeah, but not to play footy, to work on a ship. Good money but I thought it was the only right to carry on for at least one more year after accepting the offer. Mm-hmm. And you got off to a strong start, getting Herbert Truman involved in training. Yeah, we brought, brought in some strong physical culture sessions in training. We wanted to make sure that uh, we could outlast any other season, on, uh, any other team on the field. Mm-hmm. Sorry. And Herb uh, was an important person or important player for us in this role. Mm-hmm. And you must have needed it with a few big losses over the off-season. Yeah, with Denning coming, uh, with Denning, sorry, going to Fitzroy and Ansel now coaching St Kilda, we were going to try and fill a few holes, but we managed to keep hold of Soapy, who was ready, who was almost ready to head off. Uh, and Chitty, after a few games last year, he has really stepped up. And the season proper went exactly as you planned. Yeah, it did. We played hard and strong all year, and we were very lucky without having too many injuries. Uh, we learned something from all of our losses, and I think it just made us come together even more. Um, so, Brighton, uh, we hear your day started a little earlier than 2.50 today. <laughs> yeah, can you believe I had to clean barrels in the steam room this morning? Uh, it loosened me up a little bit. It was nice just before the game. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and was your co-worker Albert Collier there? Well, no, he wasn't. Can you believe it? He was uh, resting his bad knee. Um, look, you sound pretty calm about that. Um, we heard that you might have had a bit of a different reaction this morning. Well, I'm not ashamed to say I was bloody ruggable this morning. <laughs> I was ready to get even, but the result of the day has changed my perspective a little. Um, do you think Jock might have had something to do with it, with, uh, with him not being there? Well, team and I uh, wouldn't make uh, accusations, uh, but it seems a little coincidental, doesn't it? Just a little, maybe. Um, <laughs> um, so tell us, after you got out of CUB this morning, what was your game plan? Well, my first 
first thought was to try and flatten him at the first <laughs> first chance that it presented itself. Yeah. Uh, but Jim Francis actually got to, got me thinking a bit differently. Uh, if we knew Albert was only playing a, at 60%, couldn't kick and could barely run, wouldn't we rather have him on the field than the 19th man, Jack? Yeah, well, interesting thinking there, Brighton. And uh, the plan obviously worked. To us, uh, Collier looked very underdone and he spent... Uh, most of the day in the gold square, only uh, uh, not having his usual effect on the game. Yeah, well, all he got was a few handballs. I think that might have been better of <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, so apart from that obviously genius move, what other plans did you have in place? Well, we wanted to take Regan out of play, so Baxter sat in the square and took him out of the game. We also got Sophie and Schmidt to play wide on the flank, and Jack Rout got plenty of space in the middle, and... That opened up our forward line a fair bit. Yeah, and that obviously worked. I mean, those four you just mentioned managed to kick 10 of the 15 goals you kicked between them. Um, and what about the back line? Well, we got Jim Park to take Gill's place on Ron Todd, and that seemed to work well, restricting him to only three goals for the day, and two of them came from free kicks as well. Yeah. Um, and, mate, who would you say was the best on ground, in your opinion? Uh, Jack Hale, for sure. He was uh, unbelievable on the ball and shut down Father Gill which he knew was another way of, of getting the game on our terms. Mm, Desert had a big final series as well. Huge. Mm. That late goal uh, got us uh, more than a goal ahead. Uh, we, it was pure class for our team. and He couldn't have gone any harder uh, today, I don't think. I don't reckon he could have uh, blown a candle out after the match. Yeah. Um, look, and we, we've heard uh, that you might be a little bit late to the celebratory dinner tonight, Brian. <laughs> Can't get away with anything, can you? <clears throat> Uh, I may have put a fair bit of money in us before the season started to win the flag at, at double figures, and I might go and collect just a cherry on top of a great year. Mate, if only you'd given us that tip as well. Well, look, congratulations on a fantastic year. You deserve it. Thanks all. Looking forward to speaking to you all again soon. Um, very nice to hear from Brighton there. Absolutely. He must be happy after sitting on the sidelines last year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, win. Now, there's a little bit of fallout that happens at Collingwood, and we, we might talk about that more next season, but some of the committee question why Jock McHale put Collier in when he was injured and underdone. Yeah, and, um, well, they... From the other side, though, it sounds, and we will talk about it more, it sounds like Jock thinks the same thing about the rest of the committee. Mm. So no one's really claiming um, ownership over that decision. Yeah, so there's a bit of fallout that happens at Collingwood. They're not the, uh, you know, that's two grand finals in a row now they've lost. Yeah. Now, um, some retirees to finish off. Always a sad time for us. Uh, we have Jack Evans, who retired at Geelong to go and join the police force, 149 games, two flags. Also at Geelong, Peter Hardiman, 160 games, two flags. At Richmond, Gordon Strang, 116 games, two flags. Um, that game there was that we just talked uh, about was Harry Valance, Sophie Valance's Sophie last, last game. game. 204 games, 722 goals. Uh, huge. Viv Randall, 73 games, uh, who is... Uh, Grandfather of Pepper Randall, who plays for the GWS Giants. Oh, really? Who did Viv play for, sorry? Hawthorne. Hawthorne. Mm. Uh, and John Lewis, who was one of North Melbourne's original VFL players, played at Melbourne as well. 196 games, 160 goals. Brilliant. Mm. 
Um, now, it will also be remiss of us not to mention the Reserves Premier this year was... Geelong again. Geelong again going back-to-back, beating Footscray by 11 points. So Footscray's uh, first seconds. and seconds doing quite well. Picking up the team, in, uh, yeah. This team, which you know, sometimes has positive things for the future. It certainly does. You might. Um, maybe not so much in this case, but <laughs> we'll find out, won't we? We certainly will. Uh, so let us wrap up the season. All right, bring it on, Timmy. Here are the questions. Um, <laughs> Premier. The Premier, Cal. The Mighty Cocky. Cockatoos. Cockatoos. The Brownlow medalist, Ros? Dick Reynolds. His third. The third time. Uh, the leading goal kicker. The leading goal kicker was Ronnie Todd with 120, 102 in the season in the proper. Home and away season. Yep. Mm. Magnificent. The uh, wooden spoon. A wooden spoon. Poor old South. South Melbourne mm. with their third. Um, premiership tallies as of 1938. We've got Collingwood with 11, Fitzroy 7, Carlton 6, Essendon 6, Richmond 4, Geelong 3, South Melbourne 3, Melbourne 2. St Kilda, North no. Melbourne, Hawthorne, no. Western Bulldogs, 0. <laughs> um, highest score of the 38 season was the Demons with 23 goals, 15, 153. I don't feel like we've spent enough time talking about that game. No, I think we should yeah, talk about it more, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Kazman, you've got your important decision to make. Uh, yes, here you we know, go. What was the, uh, yeah. the nickname in the middle there I was thinking about? The best name we've got, Aussie Parks, Ron Ran, Roy Fountain, Alan Killigrew, Jack Caesar or Ken Fleetwood-Smith-Baxter. Oh, okay. There was another one. There. Okay, well, Ronnie or Run Ran? likes to run, 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 run. Yes, that's, that's a good one. It is a Check him out on the website, guys. Mm. The magnificent website you've created, Tim. I have. As Thank you. Yes. So many of the the things that we talk about on the show. Yeah, all these little things that we like. We we do put them up, so you can check out who's won all the uh, the McCracken Name Awards. Who's always got the highest score each season. Um, maybe I'll put up the Lakeside Pennant tally. Uh, uh, yeah, the tally of that. 2 nil St Kilda. 2 nil St yeah. Kilda's way. Huge. <laughs> Saints. Um, and thanks for helping us bring in the new season. Yes, yes. all of us. Let's, uh, let's try and make this a, an annual thing. Yeah, yeah I like it. Oh, happy New Year to all. Fantastic. Yes. Um, yeah. Thank you for joining us for this 2020 calendar year. Um, Thanks for listening to the 38th season. Thank you all for being here as well. Yeah, all of us together in the same room. Oh, the family nice. together. Yeah. All the fan. <laughs> yeah. Ryan, you've done well to supply this venue. Mm. I don't know who's going to follow up with this mm. one. Yeah. It is a, it's a ripper. Thank you, Mr. Balfour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's him. <laughs> Collingwood player. Well, yeah. you, we'll, we'll uh, see you again in 39, which... The, the next three years, it's, I guys. Cannot, yeah, well, I mean, it's an interesting time in the world, but it's a great time in the VFL. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, looking forward to that one. If you're a Demon supporter, tell all your Demon supporter yeah, mates. Yeah, just stick around. around. Stick around. <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah, the, uh, the next year. It's going to be great. Probably the next two years, actually. Yeah, it's going to be absolutely This is your time. Fantastic. Your time to shine. It's too good. <laughs> well, uh, until 39, hooroo. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.